Happy Disney Plus Day. Marvel Studios graced us with a plethora of new announcements on this very day. We also got a Spider-Man No Way Home poster released earlier in the week. A big controversy surrounding all those leaks. Koi Jandro on later in the show for an Eternals Direct Discourse. A Spider-Man 3 retrospective review. Oh, and an interview with Eternal star Leah McHugh later in the show. All that and so much more. It's the Direct Podcast, episode 59. Let's get busy. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I am birthed with glorious purpose. We're all villains here. Not us united. I'm a superhero! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 59 of the Direct Podcast. Coming in your ears a little later than usual. We want to drop these episodes every week around noon Eastern on Fridays. But with Disney Plus Day kind of just taking everything and throwing it for a whirl. We decided to push this episode back like five, six-ish hours to ensure we got to talk about all the new announcements coming from Marvel Studios on this very episode. I am your host, The Content Machine, Liam Crowley, joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, The Action Man, Matt Remke. Matt, how are we doing? Doing well, man. How are you? How are I'm you? Pr- I'm doing... I'm- I'm vibing. I'm pretty great. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but like just the, 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 the motions are like going crazy right now. Put everything off today in terms of clearing my schedule to only do direct stuff today. Mm-hmm. Class got canceled. My anchor responsibilities with the campus news station were able to be pushed to someone else. It's just a full on content day and I'm just overjoyed with happiness. How are you? I'll do you one better. I um, had a part-time job as a waiter at a breakfast restaurant for the past few weeks. I quit that job so I can focus on Disney Plus today and do this podcast with everybody. So that's where I'm at mentally. I am all Marvel all the time, a little bit of Star Wars, and I just couldn't be happier. This is this is going to be a great episode, and I cannot wait to dive in. This is one of our most packed episodes of all time, and it's coming off our longest episode ever last week. And I hope you <laughs> like content, because even though these episodes have been long, they're not short on segments. We have so much to talk about, and I do want to make sure we address everything off the bat. So real quick, we want to make sure you all are following along with our Spider-Man rewatch. We've been doing it the past couple of weeks. This week, we're covering Spider-Man 3, the last film in the Raimi trilogy. Next week, we'll be touching on the Tasm movies, the Mark Webb movies, Andrew Garfield in the house. Next week, the amazing Spider-Man oh. 1. We'll be re-watching, we'll be reviewing, and we hope that you're watching along with us because it makes for these reviews and the social interaction that much more special. Uh, so make sure you know, you're following along with myself and Matt on Twitter. We got a schedule up there. Matt's got a graphic that we put out at least once a week, so you know exactly when the Spider-Man rewatch reviews are coming out every Friday leading up to No Way Home on December 17th. And speaking of No Way Home, our quick question is about that very movie, and it just seems to be... No way. Right? Shocking. No way. That's one thing that was wild about Disney Investor Day, or Disney Plus Day, excuse me, like barely any Spider-Man content, even though he kind of snuck in there. We'll get to that. Managed to make his name, name heard. Oh, we will we will get to that in a bit, but we got a quick question this week uh, from Canada. I, I don't have a name attached to it. I think it was an anonymous question, um, but sure. this one comes from uh, the Great North, and he says, or she says, listen to these guys whenever they drop an episode at work or wherever. Always feel like I'm chatting with my buddies about comic book movies. Well, thank you so much, and appreciate the hard work, guys. Again, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, you guys like this question, but since we know where and when Doc Ock and the others are coming into the MCU, 
where and when do you guys think that Toby and Andrew, if they are in it, wink, wink, nod, nod, are coming from? Thanks so much, guys. Love from Canada. Well, thank you to our friend up north. We love our Canadian listeners. Matt, I know this is a question that when I put it in the rundown, your mind was racing. You were so stoked to talk about this question. So I'll just pitch to you. Where do you think and when do you think Toby and Andrew are coming from if if they're in it? This has been such a serendipitous week because I'm literally prepping for an article about this very subject right now. Like that's the next thing I'm doing when I hop off this podcast. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, Moving forward for the question, we will just go under the assumption that they are in the movie just so we don't have to keep saying if and when and but and all that stuff. Mm. Um, So there's kind of two schools of thought here, right? The word variant covers anybody from a different universe outside of whatever one you're currently in, right? The main 616, the sacred timeline, all that stuff. Go watch Loki. A lot of great exploration there. So we're going to assume all these Spider-Men and all these villains are variants. So the question becomes, are they the variants from the movie universes we have seen? The Raimi trilogy, the Tasm universe, the SSU with the Venom and the Venom, let there be carnage. Or are these new unseen versions variants of these characters that we have not met before yes the actor is probably andrew garfield we know alfred molina is playing doc ock but is this the andrew garfield from the tasm universe is this the doc ock from the raimi universes or are these variants of these characters from other universes we haven't seen being played by the same actors there's, those are, in my opinion, the two school, the two schools of thought going in. That's going to be a huge, big moment, either in the next trailer or when the movie goes out. And like you know, once they establish who's from what, um, I'm personally in the camp of I want them to be variants from universes we haven't seen before, um, just because I feel like that opens the story up a little bit more. We're not restrained by any continuity or character development issues from the previous movies that's me being a stickler i know that but that's kind of what i want liam which of those two versions would you like to see in this movie or would you like to see a combination of both i have some evidence from each theory that could prove true but i want to hear what 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 do you want to see intriguing well what i want to see is kind of i'm in the two camps right what my heart wants versus what my head wants what my head wants is for them to be variants of universes we haven't seen before just because it doesn't tie you down to any baggage that comes beforehand or not even baggage some of the good stuff we saw it happen in the fox x-men movies they had to well days of future past had the intention of kind of reversing all the canon and they didn't really stick to that but like when days Ah. of future past came out (laughs) the point was if we're gonna get rid of origins wolverine and and x-men the last stand we also get rid of x2 that sucks, yep. but it's what comes with it. And it, get, it gave them the opportunity to start fresh and they didn't really maximize it. But anyways, with Toby and Andrew, even though there's some good stuff in both of their franchises, if you want to start fresh and not be restrained to anything, you got to get rid of it all. And I think if you plan on using them more in the future or even just within this storyline, you make them variants. But my heart wants them to be the same characters. Like at the same time, when we see their faces, it's going to resurrect all the same emotions. But knowing that they're the same versions will just hit that much more. Fans aren't really going to care at the end of the day if Andrew and Toby, if and when they are in this movie, their face alone 
is going to be enough to just get tears from the crowd. However, my, my heart would want them to be the same iterations, but I understand the, the baggage that comes with that. Yeah. And, and for me, it's, I know this sounds so stupid, but like, it's a dialogue thing. Like I can't imagine the sleep green goblin being in the MCU. It just doesn't fit. You know what I mean? And so like, if he's going to come over and be from that universe, he's going to have to be a completely different person, just strictly from a narrative and dialogue tone, you know, that, that guy sleep, that's not in the MCU. So it's going to be a different version, no matter what, if they say he's from the old one, I'm going to start asking the question, well, why is he different? You know, th- things like that. Um, so there's evidence on both camps of variants from the movie universe as we know, or new variants. So on the poster, we're going to talk about it later. That's the original Green Goblin suit, right? That's a point for the original universe's theory. Alfred Molina, as Doc Ock, when he gets on that bridge, he says, hello, Peter, even though he doesn't, he's supposedly not talking to Tom Holland, not talking to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. He's talking to Tom Holland's Spider-Man. That's a point for new universe, right? We have, um, you know, we have Sandman and Alfred Molina as Doc Ock and again, Green Goblin all looking like their original universe versions. That's a point for the original universe. But then the big one, the big one that I think is the really big, I, I can't understand this, Electro. We've seen the yellow lightning. We've heard Jamie Foxx say he's not going to be blue anymore, et cetera, et cetera. That is going to be one that they can't just explain away why he's not blue anymore. It changed his molecular appearance. That's a point for new universe. But then we go to the Venom post credit scene. <laughs> if he's in this group, he was literally pulled from his old universe into the MCU. So there's points on both sides of the court here, and I'm, I'm really not sure what they're going to go with. And they might go with a mixture of both, which you know is going to raise that everlasting question, why? Why is, is all we can ask until, until December 17th? And I don't think we get our answers in any type of marketing, even if they do decide to show Andrew and Toby. Um, I think that's something they keep close to the vest. And when, if and when they show them in marketing, because they will show up in marketing eventually, whether it's before or after the movie, you know, Cap getting Mjolnir started to show face in Endgame TV spots a month after it came out because they were like, you know what? If we didn't convince you otherwise to go see this movie, this will get you in the theater. So anyone that's holding off on Spider-Man, they'll eventually show Toby and Andrew, but I think they refrain from explaining who they are until you actually see said movie. Matt, there's so much Spider-Man to talk about. There's so many more announcements to talk about in regards to Disney Plus Day, but even more than just Disney Plus Day, we got so much news to get through. Let's hit it, the sizzle reel. And the ball begins to roll again. The official poster for Spider-Man No Way Home has been released and features images of the infamous bridge scene, along with some subtle and some not-so-subtle hints at the multiversal villains in this movie. Here we go. And continuing on the hype train, Hawkeye is just around the corner, and first reactions, including one from our very own Matt Remke, are in. People are touting the small screen story feel and the hyper-satisfying performance from Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop. Our Hawkeye Primer episode of the Direct Podcast drops on November 17th. And Disney Plus Day has come and gone 16. You heard it. 
16 upcoming Marvel projects on Disney Plus got some spotlight. We will break down every single one of note here on the Direct Podcast. Switching over to the blue brand, Henry Cavill's Superman has been in the news lately with the actor expressing his desire to throw the cape back on because there is, quote, a lot of storytelling left to do. And finally, with some news from a galaxy far, far away, our first kind of look at the Obi-Wan Kenobi series is here in form of a featurette released as a part of Disney Plus Day. A leak the day before led many to believe that we would be getting a trailer instead, but at the end of the day, we got some interviews, some concept art, and a very vague idea of what the story will be about. And for more information on everything you need to know about the universes you love, and I can't stress this enough on this episode in particular, head on over to thedirect.com. People in the back, I know you're asking. Once again, that's thedirect.com. Guys, I can't emphasize this enough. This is a two-man operation, this podcast. Matt and I are in the microphones, but we have dozens of writers, content creators, image creators over on the website that worked overtime today matt the amount of notifications i was getting that i wasn't involved in seeing all the people responding to threads that of articles they're not even tasked to write to contribute you know here's some more information i found on socials it's it's a great operation we got going on over there so for anything we don't cover in this episode for any more tidbits you want to learn that we might not discuss there are very detailed articles already up on the website so i can't emphasize it enough go visit the direct dot Calm. Matt, we're going to push Disney Plus Day off just one more time. I Come promise, on. I promise we're going to get to it. We got to talk about Spider-Man, the big Spider-Man controversy, what? right? Spider-Man. So the good news is we got a poster. We got our yeah. official poster, our official teaser poster as people are penning it. But seeing that we're this close to release, I don't really know if we get an official poster, at least before the movie. Anyways, this poster was so heavily desired for weeks because people just kind of gave up on, on getting a trailer. They're like, we can at least get a poster, right? <laughs> and we get the poster. People are happy, but not everyone is happy. And uh, images kind of surfaced from a very big name in our industry. They were deleted shortly after, but that doesn't matter because they get screenshotted, they get saved, they get shared around on socials. We're not going to dive into um, what the leaked images mean. We'll just kind of talk about what this culture of leaking content early has kind of done to this movie and then just Hollywood in general. Um, but let's start with the good stuff, Matt. How do we feel about this poster? Spidey in the Iron Spider suit, standing opposite Doc Ock, his tentacle arms, goblin in the background, some sand, some lightning hinting at Flint Marco and Electro, whose real name is, do you know it? Ah, I know it's on the, the ground. The guy on the ground. Max. Yeah, you're my eyes and knees. Uh, Max. Uh, Max Dillon. Max Dillon. Max there, we Dillon. Go. there we go. Matt, how do you feel about the poster? <laughs> um, uh, I, I'm excited. It's a cool poster. Um, Iron Spidey suit is as prevalent as ever on this poster, and that's kind of cool. Um, the tentacles just make for great visual storytelling. Every time you use them, you can put them in the foreground. You can put them in the background. The, the blurring uh, aspect ratio and all that was awesome. As a designer, I really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to be honest. I like the bus poster more than I like the official poster. The one I'm, with like the Dr. Strange folding in the background, the inception city in the background with the tentacles still uh, prevalent. Um, I think that that was 
a little more, I, I think stylistically look cooler. Now this one, obviously we got more of a Sinister Six kind of vibe with four villains being hinted at. Well, let me take that back. Three villains being hinted at and one of them just blatantly being in there. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I saw so many people were like, hey, did you spot the, did you spot the key little clue in this? I'm like, yeah, it's like right there. Like you can't miss it. <laughs> I I felt that was so strange. And they used an image from Spider-Man. Like, that's not like a new shot of Green Goblin. That's the thing. I thought I did something. When that tweet came out and within like eight seconds, I hadn't seen the the zoomed in photos. And I was like, oh, found it. I found it first. And then I zoom out and go, it's it's so obvious. (laughs) It's right there. (laughs) So that's really interesting. There's a lot of interesting things going on with the Green Goblin just specifically. He's wearing the 2002 suit, which I'm on record for hating. A lot of people love it just because the look, but the emotionless mask, I think, is just a storytelling problem. I really believe that. Like, you don't let Willem Dafoe eat when you cover him up with a mask like that. Um, the eyes, though. The eyes. I don't, I don't like it. I, when when, when the, mesh, the mesh screen eyes? No, I'm saying when, when the lenses are up and in the Willem Dafoe crazy eyes, when he's talking to Spider-Man on that rooftop, I, I think the, he does. I'm making excuses mask. for it. The yeah. tinted mask, yeah, it's it's okay. Um, I'm 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 expecting a new Green Goblin suit because there's the new glider. Like that's not the original glider. That looks more like the Harry glider, you know, from Spider-Man Three, which we'll talk about later this episode, bro. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting poster. A lot of questions get raised, and I just I guess I need this movie, man. I need it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of this poster. Spider-Man MCU posters have been notoriously awful, like so bad. Like we're talking about all the faces on the homecoming one where two Tony Stewart, Iron Man and Tony Stark, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And then the far from home one where it's just like Samuel L. Jackson, Jake Gyllenhaal, Tom Holland. Go see this movie. Like what? Yeah, it was so weird. Those are Sony posters. Go check out the Boss Logic Spider-Man far from home promotional art. It is electric. It's awesome. The fan art is always seemingly better than the Spider-Man actual posters. But one thing that they haven't missed on, in my opinion, are the teaser posters. The yeah. homecoming teaser poster Stay. when he's in the in the decathlon jacket, chilling, Avengers Tower in the background. It tells you everything you need so to sick. know. This movie is in the MCU. One little visual cue. And then the zoomed in mask for Far From Home with all the different travel stickers on there. So that was fun. awesome. Fun, yeah. exactly. This, if this is just a teaser poster, it continues the trend of great teaser posters. And I hope they don't give another one because you don't need another one. Sure, there will be a really cool, a bunch of faces situation. Eventually, we will get a poster, likely with Toby, Andrew, and Tom, but not not ahead of the movie, you know? Like Avengers Endgame, that poster is great, but it doesn't show Broy Thor. You know, it doesn't show any of the people who come back for the third act. It shows what we know from the trailers. And I thought this poster did a great job of showing what we know from the trailers in a very minimalistic sense. So that makes me a big fan. Before we get into Disney Plus Day, we got to talk about the leak situation. Myself and Matt are on the exact same wavelength with this as we think most sane people should be. Marketing is, there's a structure behind the scenes, right? They have dates on a, on a blackboard somewhere where they're going to hit certain bits. Trailer more TV spots, promotional posters, character posters, etc. Why can't we let that just happen? Why can't we just trust the process? The, the leaks that are coming out, they're not ruining the movie completely, um, in my opinion, at least, because I'm still stoked. When I saw those images, I'm not going to lie, my heart kind of skipped a beat. I wish I didn't see them, but I was also like, that's going to look really cool to see in live action. But 
it's just like it's not it's not part of of what was intended to be seen at this point in time um matt and i were both very very frustrated on on socials on i believe monday was when this whole situation unraveled Thank matt you. i just i kind of want to just get your thoughts on what went down and uh what you're kind of hoping gets gets changed to combat this in the future like how do you even stop leaks from getting out like what do you do i really i i don't have an answer for what you do i don't work in a cybersecurity space i don't know how marvel studios is able to keep leaks in more than sony is like i know marvel studios still has a few cracks but sony seems to have floodgates and it you know it's it's prevalent in so many different ways um you know think about the spider-man trailer the most viewed trailer of all time leaked a day before like and i just don't know how that happens my my problem like i understand there's leaks and you know i'm new to this space relatively you know it's been two years i've been commenting on comic book movies online and um you know with the direct tag under it i'm not saying i'm a, like you know I, i'm not as big as a name as a lot of these other people some of them are the leakers um, but you know, I, I have, I, I write for a website, a reputable website, and I, I've so appreciative of everybody who is dumb enough to listen to what I have to say, but, um, you know, I've been in this space for a little bit and I am clear of one thing. I think leaks are just inexcusable. I, I don't understand. I, 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 I'm not kidding. Somebody explain it to me. I do not understand even a little bit what what it is that makes people desire to have something spoiled for them. I don't, I don't get it. I don't under, like, like even you said just now, like you, you saw those images, like you're excited to see it in live action. I couldn't even feel that way. I was just so bummed that I clicked on that link and I saw, um, you know, what I saw because I, I can't imagine how out of breath I would be watching it in theaters, not knowing it was coming kind of thing. And, um, you know, when, when the leaks come from leak accounts, that's one thing, block those people, mute those people, you know, just don't follow leak accounts. Like they, they for me, that's what Reddit's for leaks and shit. Right. You know, they should live um, underground. They should very much be like, Ooh, 100%. did you go into that R slash discord or whatnot? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's all. That's what I thought Reddit was for in this space a lot. And it's on Twitter. So you just don't follow those accounts. But when it comes from a person who is supposed to be on our team, supposed to be on the let the marketing do what it does team, you know, one of the biggest names in the industry when it comes from that source. And it's such a blatant leak, like like there's no the watermark and all those things. Right. When it comes from that, it just makes me angry because I it's not my fault that I clicked on it. You know what I mean? I'll click on it, any one of his tweets and I clicked on it and I saw what I saw and it just sucks. And I and I legitimately think that it's irredeemable. Like it, you, you lose your card as far as like trust, you know, with people in that realm. Like this is one of the most anticipated movies of all time. Why are we leaking stuff like that so close to it when you're one of the biggest defenders of leakers? It's, it just doesn't make sense to me. Never will. So here we are. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to add to that. Um, just in terms of like the reason why I click on that stuff, the, the reason why I just like, when I hear stuff about like Harry Styles and whatnot, being in this space, it's hard to walk on eggshells and do our jobs well. So I'd, I'd almost rather just like, you know, do it, Quill. I can take it. Just like get it out of the way. I'm going to see this eventually. I can't mute enough keywords to not stumble across this by accident. And so I try to just not let that ruin projects for me because I know I'm going to just 
let it, it's going to happen eventually. Like it, it's hard to just keep your head in the sand for as long as possible. But I agree. Like I'd rather have that moment happen for the first time in theaters, like cap getting Mjolnir. I was crying and shouting because I had zero clue that that was even in the works. Like Mjolnir wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. It got destroyed like the year prior. Um, same thing with a, a much mi more minor one with Adrian Toomes being uh, the homecoming dates father. I Imagine. had no clue uh, that was coming. And actually I was thrown off because a leak came out that he was playing Zendaya's MJ like, and Zendaya's MJ's father, he was supposed to be her dad. And so I was like, Oh, wow. Well, I wish I didn't know that, but now I'm going in and it kind of threw me off a little bit in a good way. That said, I agree. Uh, leaks are inexcusable. It's frustrating to live in a world where this movie is so delicate. And when you have a check mark next to your name, you're a trusted um, source, not just to give true information, but to, you know, handle information with care. And even though it was very emphasized by the person that leaked this stuff that he thought that they were Photoshopped images, doesn't matter. Like <laughs> they're really good Photoshops if that's the case. And why share really good Photoshops, especially when one of them is quite literally a described scene from Tom Holland, like an officially teased described scene um, from an interview he gave that doesn't like give away too much. It just teases what to expect. We actually covered it on the podcast a couple of weeks back. The, you know, people just talking about what it means to be a hero sitting around a table and all that. And uh, when you have your hands on a Photoshop, that's that's exact one. Like, what are we doing? So, yeah, I, I said I tweeted it out on Monday. Think before you tweet. Uh, we're in a space where we're fortunate to be able to talk and write and and make videos about this kind of stuff and have people come to us for information like don't betray that trust yeah i'm with you i'm with you man you know just i i've muted spider-man words you know i got 50 spider-man keywords that are now muted and i'm not going to look at spider-man content on twitter unless it comes from marvel studios you know that's or sony whatever you know i'm uh, official marketing plans i love i love the idea of them man so yeah let's let's move into more positive stuff William. let's talk about disney plus day Let's talk about Disney Plus Day, but I do want to end with one really big bit of positive news from Spider-Man. It came out today. It's official. The Spider-Man No Way Home world premiere will be Monday, December 13th. Oh, Four days yes. Four before days. it comes out on a Friday. Eternals, Harry Styles, that got out because it was two and a half weeks before. Hard to guard that secret. Spider-Man, if you're like me and you know you can't operate for the next month without happening to come across these leaks not because you want to see them but just because it's going to affect your work you know now you only got to wait four days i know for me when these reactions come out i'll read some of the social reactions and then i'll mute all the words because i can take a hit for four days so yeah. it's good news for everyone that this premiere is happening the same week as the movie's release but i agree Matt. let's talk about disney yeah. plus day we have so much to get through let's start with the one that's coming super close hawkeye new footage Ooh. Matt's already seen the first two episodes, but he is just stoked through the roof. Uh, I wrote an article about the chase scene that goes on that they showed in this little 15-minute sizzle reel between uh, Echo, Kate Bishop, Hawkeye. You see Frothy in the background. He's playing a character named Rozzy, who I believe will eventually become the clown in the series. We'll see if that actually turns out to be true. Anyways, or Rozzy. Did I say Frozzy? Rozzy. 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 Matt, what did you think about this new Hawkeye footage? And, you know, without, you know, 
giving too many details away sure. or giving any details away rather. Um, what did you think about the first two episodes overall? Yeah. So um, I'm a huge fan of the Matt Fraction, David Aja run of Hawkeye. And I think that the first two episodes captured my favorite parts of that run beautifully. Um, you know, there are differences because we're living in the MCU. So, you know, there's, there are uh, character differences based on what we've seen so far, but you know, a few things that are for sure after watching these two episodes, the, street levelness of this is impeccable and you know we've been big scale we've seen celestials we've seen multiverses we've seen magic bracelets take down dragons we are heading back to the streets you know this is ground level mcu i honestly believe this is going to be another new branch of the mcu is the street level stuff because that's how small this story is and that's how small it feels and that is the fraction aja hawkeye run also kate bishop She's going to be everybody's new favorite hero, man. Get excited. Um, as far as this new footage, as far as this chase scene, that that's the car chase from the comics. If you haven't read it yet, just a little quick spoiler. There's a great car chase book in there, and it's amazing. And that's what this scene is, and it's shot so well. Um, you know, be careful. I was born careful. Chills, man. That's the, This is going to be such a great show. I'm so excited for people to watch it. Hawkeye is going to be great, and we got so much Hawkeye content coming to you over the next couple weeks couple months honestly uh hawkeye primer as we mentioned will drop wednesday november 17th and then we're going to be doing hawkeye reviews every single week <laughs> leading up to book of boba fett and then the momentum just keeps on rolling let's talk about a show that we got our first looks at um kind of surprisingly too because originally we got a tweet uh disney plus day by the way very oddly structured underwhelmingly chaotic. like chaotic <laughs> um disguised as a very underwhelming event it was almost like everyone went in with such high expectations that they were like let's sink those to the floor and then boom surprise 15 minute sizzle reel that yeah. might have underwhelmed you if we showed it to you first but we kind of toyed with your emotions and took you on a roller coaster this sizzle reel showed oscar isaac our first look of him as Mark Spector, Moon Knight. We didn't get to see the cowl, but we saw some boots. We saw some gloves. We saw him having some action. Matt, this has become my most hyped series for 2022. Friend of the show, comic books, Jim Viscardi, always just waxes poetic about everything Moon Knight on socials. I admittedly know very little about the character. I just know that it's kind of Marvel's Batman meets Split because he's got this personality disorder going on. And that concept alone is enough to sell me. Ethan Hawke is also in this show. The, the, the action looks, <laughs> looks unbelievable. And when you can convince an actor like Oscar Isaac to return to the superhero world after he was scarred so badly by X-Men Apocalypse, this is going to be something special. What did you think about the first footage of, of uh, Moon Knight? What's worse, the Great Goblet sleep or the uh, uh, the apocalypse learning thing? <laughs> you know, oh brother, <laughs> kind of the same one, right? <laughs> learning. That's um, a tough, this that's a tough one. This show looks dope. It looks creepy. Is that a yeah? You know, is that kind of hit a little bit? A little scary. It's a little creepy. I love how scared um, Oscar Isaac looks throughout this entire thing. I think you know I've read one uh, mid two thousands Moon Knight origin. Um, run you know it was 12 books kind of explaining the character before diving back into new avengers where he kind of lives a little bit more uh comic booky um i think a great way to really get the moon knight idea across is to have whatever the human version of these split personalities one of them being moon knight one of them being you know other different things but the base core mark specter the character we're going to get to know that turns into moon knight 
he needs to kind of be scared of all of it. And it really looks like they're showing that here. I love what they're doing with the eyes. You know, they, they seem to have his eyes whited out. And then when he comes back to like, he had done something crazy. What a great way to get the all white eyes into a superhero movie. Finally, you know, like, where's that been our whole lives? You know, like <laughs> just, just Deadpool. And they don't even explain it. Cause it's Deadpool. Right. But like, and you know what we're all thinking? Like, why can't Batman do this? <laughs> He'd yeah. be like, this is, this is this is a great way to get that done uh, practically. Classic Marvel Studios stuff. It looks sick, and I just can't wait. We saw the shot, the 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 Dark Knight shot of him jumping across with the moon in the back, and it's just it's going to be so awesome to again see street level MCU get another member on the roster. I can't wait for this branch to keep growing. It's 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 rapidly becoming something I'm very excited about. And it all depends on what the 2022 release slate looks like, but Moon Knight could very well be our first ever Disney Plus origin story because we've we've seen yeah. origin stories within characters within Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision, Loki, but the titles of all of those shows have been centered around MCU legacy characters. If this comes out first, they're putting a lot of emphasis on Mark Spector being the first, like Matt always talks about the, the rookie class of 2021 this is like, this is our first round pick. This is our high school yeah. prospect that we're 100%. showing off here. Um, I'm stoked for Moon Knight. Um, I'm stoked for a lot more of these shows. And speaking of rookie class, She-Hulk. She's going to be a big player moving forward. New title, new uh, new title card. A little slicker. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know Hulk-ish. if I'm a, What's up? Kind of incredible Hulkish with the thin, uh, you know, sans serif font. I, I think that was kind of sleek. Like to, me, to me, it came off like very like news channel-y. And for a sure. second, I was like, is Jennifer Walters alias as a news anchor? But no, she's she's a, a lawyer. So I thought I thought it was a little not that it was a downgrade, but the first one was just so comic booky. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, you know, Hulk spray paint with the she in purple above it. But still, uh, this this footage, they do the exact same thing they did with Moon Knight. They don't show uh, she Hulk's face. They kind of show her her calves, her white and purple suit that looks like it left straight yep. off the page, which was really dope. Uh, they show her kind of greening out, hulking out and all that. But the really interesting thing of note is they show Bruce Banner, Professor Hulk. Last we saw him, he was Banner in 2021s. Well, 2021s came out two months ago. Shang-Chi's post-credit scene. What has changed? You know, maybe these scenes are flashbacks. Maybe these scenes are flash forwards. Maybe they're present day. Who knows? Matt, where do you think Bruce Banner is in the context of the She-Hulk world? I think they start She-Hulk off with a really, um, you know, significant timestamp. Maybe this is a few years ago. It starts the Jim Walter story starts within the blip, maybe, um, you know, within the time everybody's gone. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case, but before we see him in Shang-Chi, I think they set that time, show him and Jen kind of experimenting, getting her some sort of Hulk gene going on. Um, man, I can't wait to see a bracelet, but I think we learn about what happened with Bruce between Endgame and Shang-Chi in this show. I think this is where we're going to get all that exploration. I think Bruce is going to be a very big supporting character in the sense that he gets his own little arc here that leads him into Shang-Chi as, you know, what we see as a leader of the Avengers, uh, more that Nick Fury type, which was just one of my favorite concepts right now, if I'm being completely honest. You know, the the resting giant, you know, taking care of everybody until he needs to be called in. But um, I want to ask you, I want to go pitch it back to you, we saw it. We saw her green, you know, like we saw the effects of it. And, um, you know, I, we didn't see the full scale, so we can't really put too much 
um, emphasis on how good the CG is or not. Obviously, they probably picked their best shots for this, which is fine. What do you think? This is like, it's not hulking. You know, she seems bigger. Don't get me wrong, but like this is like natural person skin and the suit and the hair, all that stuff. So what 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 were your thoughts? It looks like it's prosthetics, right? It, it doesn't. It looks pra- looks practical. Um, mm-hmm. for now, I, you know, are they not showing the face because they want to to save it, or is it because maybe there's some CGI that they need to touch up? You know, remains to be seen. Who are we to speculate uh, this early on? But I, I'm glad that they're not going like full, like crazy Hulk. Cause she Hulk in the comics, like she's bigger per se, but she's not like, she's not as there's versions. She, she, she'll get bulked, but also she'll be felt on other sure. times. So yeah. She, the, the difference between banner and Hulk is, is much grander compared to the difference between Jennifer Walters yes. and she Hulk is my understanding of it. I'm, I'm a fan of what they're going for so far. Um, Cause I, th- I think a concept like this show um, is, you're going to play it a little sillier per se. Not that Hulk is like a silly character, but for whatever reason, um, she Hulk in the comics just seems to be a more like tongue in cheek concept. She's going to break the fourth wall. Uh, we saw that very briefly. It looked like her. And I believe it was Mark Ruffalo in like a seventies yeah. TV commercial, like shout out one division. Maybe <laughs> yeah. I have no idea, but um, yeah, it seems like this show is going to lean more into the funny factor, which I think is a good thing. Um, I would kind of want to circle back to the Ruffalo Hulk situation because someone pointed out not only is he Professor Hulk, but both of his arms are fine. That makes me think, Mm -hmm. makes me subscribe to your theory that this could be like a time hopping situation where maybe when he figures out, you know, I put the brains and the brawn together and now look at me, best of both worlds, 18 months in the Gamma Lab. Maybe there were other uh, people there, you know, experimenting with him. And that makes me think if he's Professor Hulk and both arms are okay, that scene is taking place at some point during the five-year time jump. And maybe Walters is was the key to merging the Professor mm-hmm. Hulk situation there. Maybe there's a way that, not a retcon per se, but it adds another layer to Avengers Endgame as to how is he able to solve the brains and the brawn together by having Walters' DNA in there. Like, I, I think that could be really cool. I like your Ruffalo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm proud of it. Good. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> Um, moving on next is Miss Marvel, right? Yeah. So the thing about Miss Marvel is what's inter- what's interesting to me is we've gotten a featurette on Miss Marvel before. I think it was last year's Disney Investor Day. We got kind of a deep look and we got some brief footage. Like we saw the the shot of her falling back and laying in the bed, and the shot of her at the Halloween store. This, that, the other. So like this isn't our first look at Miss Marvel, but it is our first look at Kamala Khan's new powers at play. It's very subtle. It's in the background. You can barely see it happen, but she seems to be somewhat like platform jumping on some sort of cosmic energy across the sky. And that's the best way I could describe it off the top of my head. But this is definitely a look at the new power set that they're giving her. We expect it to be similar in the sense that she'll be able to expand and stretch her body, maybe not by, you know, physical rubber band type stuff, but more through energy as an extension of her body. Um, That's kind of what we're expecting. But to see her kind of jump across the sky like that, that was really interesting. Uh, Did you get excited? Are you more curious? They gave us less than a little to look at here. Like the other ones were teases. This was like a tease within a tease. I'm worried that Miss Marvel is going to get the Black Widow treatment in terms of they showed us our first glimpse in December 2020. And now this movie is coming out in summer 2022. And I'm worried that Black Widow, by the time it came out, we were like, ah, 
you know, we're excited, but like, we feel like we've already seen so much, not that we've seen so much with Miss Marvel, but like the marketing campaign, if you can even call it that, it's not like they're showing new stuff about the show every week, but the fact that it stretches all the way back to when we got our first trailer for Falcon Winter Soldier and Loki, and we got a feature from Miss Marvel, and now we're probably not going to get this show until later in 2022. I'm kind of concerned uh, about the hype around the show. I'm not someone, I know a lot of people, especially people within the direct too, that are like really married to her powers. I'm not a Miss Marvel comic fan or reader. Um, that's not to say I'm not excited for the show. I'm, I'm interested, but I, I'm not as heartbroken if she doesn't have the stretchy powers and they swap them out for more Green Lantern style stuff. Um, I know that's a big point of contention on socials and people saying it's a betrayal of her character. Don't get me wrong. Like if, if this is something that is going to ruffle feathers, I understand why, but I'm someone who, because I'm not so married to the character on the page, I'm willing to let it play out in live action and, and judge it based off that. So I'm not, to answer your question, I'm not too concerned about seeing her do these kind of energy leaps. Uh, I'm willing to give it a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I am too. Um, you know, the big concern is in her original power set, she's not able, not just able to rubber band herself. She's able to like ditto from Pokemon transform into other people. Like she, she spends a lot of her, I haven't read them. This is just from what I've read. So take it for, take it with a grain of salt. Um, if, if I'm wrong, tell me on Twitter, you know, shout, shout me out. Um, but you know, she's able, she spends most of a book as Carol Danvers because she thinks that's what I need to look like to be a superhero. And the whole journey is discovering who she is through that. Now, I understand that that's how it's done in the comics. I don't think that that sentiment of I need to look different in order to be a superhero. I don't think that sentiment needs to be lost just because she cannot turn into Brie Larson. They were never going to get Brie Larson to do the first three episodes of this show. I don't think she has to be able to literally transform into Captain Marvel to get the point across that she thinks she needs to disguise herself in order to be a superhero because a brown girl from Jersey isn't typically a superhero. I think that beautiful storyline can still be told in other ways. This is a 15-year-old kid. If we were watching a Disney Plus show and a 15-year-old kid literally transformed into Brie Larson for most of it, like Tom Hanks Big from 1984, a great movie we should all go watch right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, it would be... I think it would be a little jarring. I think that might be one step to comic bookie. So I think we need to see how they're going to handle it before we judge. If I don't think that just because they're changing the power set means that they're scrapping that story. I think they can handle it in different ways. A la WandaVision, a la Sylvie, etc. I really, really like that actually. And it yeah. <laughs> there's the funny connection. I pointed out to you in the Slack channel that, you know, when she's about to leap off the building and you said that there was like, uh, Spider-Man one vibe. And I was like, there's a Shazam joke in here somewhere. Cause mm-hmm. obviously he says Shazam when he tries to thwip for one of the first times. And in the comics, um, Captain Marvel was, uh, well, Shazam and DC was originally called Captain Marvel. And then they swapped the name because of just confusion and everything. But yeah, like there's, there's a funny Shazam joke in there somewhere of just the connection of her changing into someone else to be the hero and then yeah. having it flip flop and have it be, actually the hero is who you are personally it's not who you transform into so yeah i mean i love that storyline and i think we did get kind of a tease of that in this footage i believe uh yeah. the uh what's her name again oh my god mom biani mom biani and she was completely out Stunning. of nowhere they they cast her with like zero yeah. filmography credits she's gonna have she kind of the, 
the Tom Holland transformation in terms of just from nowhere to just a list all of a sudden. Um, she did name drop or line drop that that kind of tease of that being a prominent storyline. And in like the 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 climate we we live in, not just in terms of like the real world, but like the MCU as a whole with what we're seeing with Eternals and Shang-Chi, I think it's an important story to tell. And I think you would make a lot of comic fans angry if you shied away from it. Like, you know, we saw it in Falcon Winter Soldier. They were very like upfront about kind of the racial undertones and everything. And I think when you address it off the bat and you have the overcoming factor, it only strengthens all the characters and the stories around them. So I'm a fan. I, I think Miss Marvel is going to be fun. And I just wish, you know, we thought we were going to be talking about it right now. We thought we were going to be getting week to week episodes in fall of 2021 because of the Halloween scenes in the feature. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were, yeah. We're like, it's going to line up. We're going to get a Halloween episode on Halloween. <laughs> and now it's looking like later next year. But hey, if it's to fix CGI, if it's to make sure it's the most polished version of the story, who are we to complain? Hawkeye comes out in two weeks. Exactly. You're 100% right. And uh, just real quick, another line that Tobey Maguire speaks on top of that uh, roof before he swings over, right before he jumps over the edge, he says, tally ho. <laughs> That's the guy everybody wants to know at home, everybody. Moving on to Secret Invasion. Liam, he's back. What did you think? We saw our first look at Samuel Jackson in years, and he looks fucked up. Uh-oh. <laughs> that's all i can say really is uh-oh yeah. like yeah. he's got the gray beard he's lost the eye patch he looks like that old man that just doesn't give a shit anymore you know when yeah. you're in the locker room at the gym and you're like why are all these old guys just naked around it's because they don't care they're they don't so care old. About they're you like, whatever it doesn't matter he's got the full beard there's gray patches in there the eye and the scratch mark and everything it's going to be sick i also love here's something i didn't realize the secret invasion new title logo that went out on socials it's it's green and purple and all that and you're like oh like scrolls okay i get why they updated it when you watch the special on disney plus it's a transition which is such a neat visual cue that that gif is going to be in both of our drafts for the next like six months because we don't know when we're going to get this show is it was originally scheduled for summer 2022 but i imagine it's got to come out close to captain marvel too so yeah. you never know when we could get it. I'm not, you know, expecting anything because I don't want to be like let down by delays or whatnot. But the idea that we get one shot of Nick Fury, you know, a, a show that's going to encapsulate the entire MCU and it's going to be cameos galore and Fury will probably as big of a role as he's going to have will probably be an afterthought when it comes to weekly conversation about this miniseries to have one shot of him nothing too crazy just a, a slight look change have everyone go crazy on socials i'm such a fan and this is going to be you know they mentioned falcon winter soldier in the marketing the six episode event series the six episode event series this is going to be an event series it's going to be an avengers movie every week and i yeah. i can't wait i can't wait it's gonna be sick I, this this is the beginning everybody uh, it's uh, 2.32 Mountain Time on November 12th. Everybody, right here, right now, stop trusting anyone. Do not trust a single person in the MCU. Anybody could be a scroll. And I just can't wait for this series to start unraveling that. Not, not in this show. There's going to be a movie or a show or a couple of each that hint at scrolls a little bit moving on. We've all 
already seen it in WandaVision. They're everywhere. Be terrified. And I cannot wait. So yeah, you, you talk about the scary undertones of Moon Knight. Like Secret Invasion oh. has the potential to really not be a full-on horror series, but the creepiness factor. Yeah, the mental factor. The biggest scares, the movies that scare me the most are like the Conjuring movies because they get under your skin. They scare you without having something flash on the screen and jump at you. They make you think it's psychological. So Secret Invasion having the psychological factor. Ah, ah, can't wait. You mentioned the Conjuring movie. Shout out Vera Farmiga. She's fantastic. Fantastic in Hawkeye. Yeah, and she's fantastic in uh, uh, The Departed as well. Check the out Departed. The Departed. The best, Worst Boston accent of all time. The best Martin Scorsese movie, in my humble opinion. I love that movie. Moving on, we have a trio, or a duo, I guess. the One of them was already known. But we have a trio of, of live-action shows that we got uh, title cards for, uh, official announcements for. No new footage, though. And yeah. those are Echo, Agatha, House of Harkness, and Ironheart. We'll talk about Ironheart first because we already knew it was coming. Little new uh, logo, which I dig. Uh, it gives her a kind of a separate identity from Iron Man. The first logo back at Disney Investor Day 2020 was literally the Iron Man font, just spelt out Ironheart. This one is a little more uh, rusted. It, it's got some metal in it. And the heart is, is literally a, a heart just made out of just metal and everything. This show, I think, is going to be great. Uh, she's making her debut in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, set to come out in November 2022. Fingers crossed because the Letitia Wright situation is still ongoing. Um, but anyways, I think that that's a show that is going to be one of the most seamless transitions between a movie and a series in terms of we're probably going to meet her on a Friday and then maybe 10 days later on a Wednesday, we pick up right where we left off, which I think is really dope. Matt, what did you think about the new Ironheart logo? We've been waiting for that, haven't we? Where a show or a movie work within like a week of each other, like uh, Star Wars did a little bit with Rise, yeah, yeah. Skywalker, with Rise Skywalker. I've been waiting for that. Pretty hardcore. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, Hawkeye. You know, Wilson Fisk might be in the show. Wilson Fisk, Spider-Man, Daredevil. Yeah, who knows, right? You know, um, What I like about this logo is like it's like a welded together metal creates the heart and that's the Riri Williams story is that she steals a bunch of tech and patches together an Iron Man suit that ends up being an incredibly advanced Iron Man suit she's very good at it but she's working with scraps a la Peter Parker a la Ray from Star Wars what an incredible continuity conversation we just had right there um so yeah I'm 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 excited about Ironheart and shout out Boston because Riri Williams student at MIT they filmed some scenes of her in Boston at Black Panther I'm so stoked. They needed it, man. What's up? You guys needed it. You guys just don't have anything. Going yeah, on you, know, it, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough to get a win. But in all seriousness, I'm excited to see my hometown in the sure. fantastical world of the For MCU sure. because the best part about the MCU compared to other cinematic franchises is it's superheroes in our world. There's no metropolises or Gotham's. There's New York's and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Chicago the fact that I get to see like buildings I recognize buildings I grew up around, like within the MCU, yeah. that's going to be pretty cool. So uh, I'm stoked for more Ironheart to explore the 617. When I visited New York, I stayed in Harlem and we went by Columbia where the incredible Hulk was shot. I was like, this is surreal right now. Like I was in the courtyard where the tank scene happened. I'm like, this is legit. I'm excited for you as well. That's one thing I've always wanted to do is you take the screenshots and you print out the photo and then you hold it up when you're at the location Something I've always wanted to do. Matt, you mentioned something uh, a couple talking points ago about how the seamless transition between the movies 
and the shows and you name dropped, you know, Wilson Fisk, you know, Kingpin, Spider-Man No Way Home coming out. One that kind of fits seamlessly into there. We got a spinoff show uh, for Echo officially announced. We haven't even met this chick, Matt, and she's already got her own spinoff series. If that's not a stamp of approval, I don't know what is. Wrote an article about Echo today, found out doing a little research that she, in the comics, is the adopted daughter of Wilson Fisk. Hello. Badass, dude. Okay. (laughs) Like, I was wondering about the Kingpin ties and how he could really fit into a Hawkeye series. Are they going to force it? Are they just going to do some, you know, pat fans on the back and, you know, oh, you wanted to see Wilson Fisk. Here he is. He makes sense to be in in that show to pop up once. He could be the main antagonist of this spinoff series, Echo. I will ask you kind of the polarizing question or the bigger picture question. Is it premature to announce a spinoff for a character we haven't even met yet? At least I haven't met yet. Or do you think that this is a worthy stamp of confidence? Interesting question. Um, It's a risk, right? It's definitely a risk. And I liken it to two moves by Marvel Studios. Did you know that they shot the Ebon Bay and the the Ebon Bay from Endgame and the Wakanda Forever, like the entire Wakanda scene in Infinity War and the Ebon Bay stuff in Endgame was shot before Black Panther was even released. <laughs> that is, I mean, it makes sense, but that's freaking wild. So they shot Infinity War and Endgame back to back and they obviously shot it well before Black Panther was released just a few months before Infinity War. So they had all that confidence that Wakanda and Black Panther and Ebon Bay would mean anything to anybody for the two biggest movies of all time. And it worked. I like again to another risk that they took on Disney plus one division. That's a risky show. I wrote an article about it. It's the biggest swing Marvel's ever taken because it's nuts. It's fucking bananas that show. And wow. Was it great? And wow. Did not very many people were confused by it. And that was the risk they were taking confusing people. And they did such a good job explaining it. So I trust Kevin Foggy with my heart. And I think that this risk that they're taking, they, he must have seen something in Aliko Cox as Maya Lopez in Hawkeye to, to make this move. And again, street-level MCU, this is another player on that roster. This is a great brand that they're building. If you like the Daredevil Netflix series, they are building pieces around that style. What's going to happen with Daredevil? That's all I think about every single time I see Echo. Every single time I see Wilson Fisk pop up. What is going to happen with Daredevil? One of my favorite characters. Cannot wait to see him somehow introduced. Give me December 17th. It's going to be a day to remember for sure. But yeah, as you said, the street level MCU, I love how they're fleshing it out because there's such a unique dynamic between the street, street level MCU and then like, the Captain America Falcon side of like, yes. it's that street level MCU, but it's a little more grander scale. Echo and Hawkeye seem to be the back alley situation while Falcons fighting battles on the Brooklyn bridge. Yes. Yes. So I'm a fan. And I like the idea of the same way that this next show is fleshing out the, the WandaVision corner of the MCU. Echo will flesh out the Hawkeye corner of the MCU. And I mentioned it, Agatha, House of Harkness. This is one of the most dynamic titles I think I've ever heard because House of Harkness sounds like House of Darkness. And it also hints at her lineage playing a big factor. And then Matt, I don't even know if this is something you picked up on, but the words House of within Wanda stuff kind of mean something. They kind of mean a lot, just a little bit. So Agatha House of Harkness, I think is a super dope title. I know a lot of people were talking about when this show was first rumored in October, do we really need it? I was of the belief 
that I, I hate the idea of, of milking an IP just to make money. And they know how successful WandaVision was. And because it got nominated for limited series Emmys, it will not get a season two. And I don't think it needs a season two. It was a perfect one season condensed limited show. How do you stretch that IP? You give, you give spinoffs. And at first, first glance, that sounds like it's milking the IP. But the expansiveness of Westview, I think, is something we want to go back to. Me as a fan, I definitely want to go back into. And we haven't seen anything other than a title card and a show uh, name. But Agatha House of Harkness sounds freaking dope. The question I'll pose to you, because I don't like just saying, are you excited? Like, what do you think about this? Is Agatha going to go the route of Loki? Is she going to have a redemption arc and be more of an anti-hero? Or is this going to be our first real villain project? Because Loki, even though he's an antagonist in the MCU, he was a good guy in that show. He was fighting the good fight. Is Agatha House of Harkness going to really spotlight a heel? I would argue WandaVision was our first real villain project, but that's another thing. Um, I, uh, I really don't know, Liam. I, I can't. I'm trying to conceptualize what this show could be about and what route they could be taking the, the title as dope as it is in the house of just makes my skin just so excited. Um, that was a weird sentence. Um, I think that I really don't know what route they're going to take as far as like, what kind of story are they going to tell? They're like, is she just going to be chilling in Westview? What's going to be happening in Westview? If that's the case, maybe this is like a storytelling kind of vibe episode eight of WandaVision stretched out into different realms of the MCU Ooh. kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like MCU magic is definitely, fuck me, another branch that's really kind of dropping up a little bit. You know what I mean? We got Multiverse of Madness coming up. Shang-Chi definitely dove into the magic side of things. Loki, obviously, that's more space magic than Earth magic, which two totally different things in the MCU, as far as we know, which is wild to think about. Um, I don't know. Is is Lizzie Olsen in this show? That's going to be a big question. Um, Agatha Harkness has the ability at least from a comic lore perspective to touch so many different characters her being you know the world's oldest witch like people are much like thor and dr strange and thor ragnarok like thor needed dr strange to get through the plot essentially um you know people often need agatha harkness to find the next step in their journey because she has so much knowledge and power so i think it could be something like that but i really don't know i'm i'm in the dark on this show but man what an electric title card one of the best since Love and Thunder, I would say. Yeah, I, I agree. The the font too, the the purple hue and everything, it's great. I have a homework assignment for you because okay. you said something that was very interesting. Just you know, mentioning all the branches. You know the Venn diagram that splits up up the Marvel character rights and everything. Oh man, I just I just made Matt. <laughs> I just I, I set off a light bulb in his in his head. I want I want now a Venn go. diagram of of street level MCU with titles magic cosmic eternal stuff x-men stuff he's writing it down he's making sure he doesn't forget i love this um we go. now we go house of harkness i think is going to be cool um we mentioned how special wandavision was i feel like that gets brought up on twitter like once a week remember wandavision yeah remember that nine week period that was just glorious because like i i have projects I, I like more than it as a story but that experience was something else man that was like like the, the combination of Mandalorian into WandaVision, I can only hope we get half of that with Hawkeye leading into Boba Fett. I can yeah. only hope we get half of that. That's yeah. it, it was a moment in time, and that moment in time lasted for like 18 consecutive weeks. 
and I'm, I'm still I'm chasing that feeling. It's crazy to think that that happened earlier this calendar year. Uh, with just how much content we've gotten since. We'll round it off with the last three shows we got announced, heading over to the Marvel animated side. You know, we were teased in weeks prior that the Marvel Studios animation branch is a real thing. Like Marvel animation is going to be separate from Marvel Studios, still existing in the same canon per se, but they're going to dedicate an entire task force of people to create cartoons. And they emphasized it here. We got What If Season 2 officially announced, which, you know, whether you love or hate season one, I think it's good to continue exploring that IP because that show can last for 25 seasons. There's limitless possibilities. There's limitless directors and actors you can get involved to flesh that out. But Marvel Animation is going to go beyond what if. We got three titles. X-Men 97, which I know Matt is stoked about because it's got a direct tie to the foundation of his comic book fandom. Marvel Zombies could be a spinoff of what if could just be taking that idea and running in a different direction with it. And finally, our first ever Disney Plus Spider-Man title, Spider-Man Freshman Year, which I was originally under the impression would be maybe a new Spider-Man, maybe a Ben Riley, maybe a Miles Morales animated. No, this is Spider-Man, Peter Parker, MCU's Peter Parker. We don't know if Tom Holland's going to return to voice him, but this is going to be Spider-Man's freshman year, an origin story. Uh, we're going to see Uncle Ben die for the third time. <laughs> it just never stops. It never stops. Matt, out of those three, I'm not even going to ask which one. Can you gush about X-Men 97 for me? If you are too young, and I'm, I'm just old enough, I want to make that clear. I'm not, I'm not like one of the – I didn't grow up with this show. It was a show that became available, available to me as soon as I was three years old. I was – so. Just a little background. X-Men, the anime series, a Fox cartoon uh, from 1992 to 1997. Just one of the greatest cartoons of all time. People wonder why Marvel Studios got Iron Man, Cap, Thor, etc. It's because the biggest names were already taken. Those biggest names were Spider-Man and X-Men. And the reason Spider-Man and X-Men were the big names that were already taken, foundationally because the comics were so great in the 80s and 90s. But... They also had the X-Men animated series and the Spider-Man animated series. Those two shows showed studios that these stories are stories and characters that people care about and people want more of. So that's why they made the first jump to live action in the early 2000s with X-Men and Spider-Man by Sam Raimi and Brian Singer. These cartoons are the foundation for modern day comic book movies. They really are. Like these are the, these, this is the proof the studios needed to make those movies. This shows that good. The X-Men animated series. It's made in the 90s. It's campy. It's you know morph. It's got all this crazy 90s cartoon stuff. But guys, it's just such a fun time. It makes you fall in love with the X-Men. It makes you fall in love with Spider-Man. And so when I was a kid, I turned on Fox constantly. X-Men cartoon marathons all the time. All the time. And I loved it. And I loved watching it. The fact that this is not a reboot. This is literally season six. X-Men 97 will be season six. I'm just so excited. They're bringing in the original creators. They're bringing in the original voice actors, new writers. It's going to be more modern day stories. It's ecstasy, bro. This is the MCU getting you used to... <laughs> nailed it. Ecstasy, um, get it? Yeah. <laughs> for, for our audio listeners, which we don't have a video format. So, yeah. Yeah, I should quit like right now. Um, <laughs> um, this is... I, I think this is going to be the MCU introducing us to the idea of the X-Men 
that they might want to pull from in live action. You know what I mean? They do this in comics all the time where they'll try new things and new characters in comics, flesh out the kinks of the story, bring it into live action. I think this is going to be that version for the MCU and it's perfect. One of the greatest theme songs of all time. It's awesome. See, I I even know that. I didn't watch the show, but the theme song is so ingrained in comic book pop culture. I, I'm so glad you cleared that up because when you said it wasn't a reboot, I was like, okay, then, then what? They're just putting the show on Disney Plus. No, they're making a new season of something that hasn't been around since the 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, that's dope. That's, re- that's yeah. really cool. That's a really cool yeah. concept. So I'm a fan, and I'm definitely going to have to binge watch to catch up before that new season drops. Uh, zombies in freshman year. I think Zombies is cool. Uh, it's an IP that I, I want to see fleshed out more. Ah. Yeah. 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 See, I got quips. Really I got quips. <laughs> uh, someone else has quips. Spider Man, really you know, LMAO. Uh, too good. Spider Man freshman year, I think, is the one to talk about, though, in terms of we're getting uh, the continuation of MCU Peter Parker on D- Disney Plus, or at least going backwards, you know, not necessarily a continuation, but laying a further foundation. To me, this news means that. You know, MCU Spider-Man isn't going anywhere. I, I say that with a lot more caution compared to other people, um, just because Sony knows how much money Spider-Man makes when he's completely in their own hands. But like, this is good news, I think. And uh, continuing Peter Parker's story on Disney Plus, I think, is a is a really neat way to, you know, flesh out a character that that is only going forward from here. And even though the Spider-Man origin we did not need to see that in homecoming or civil war. It's been done so many times in live action already, but at the same time, I've always been curious. What did Tom Holland look like when he got the, the spider bite? What did Tom right. Holland? how right. did Tom Holland react when uncle Ben died? I think this is a good way to have that happen while also not being like wasting valuable runtime of a movie. Because we look at Spider-Man no way home clocking into like two hours and 39 minutes. And even my mind is racing up. How are they going to fit in everything? Right. When you have an animated show, 20 minute episodes probably for anywhere between 10 and 20 weeks you can do whatever you want the potential is limitless i'm a fan of uh spidey freshman year yeah i'm super jacked for this i think what a creative way to have your cake and eat it too you know what i mean people are going to complain like well why don't they just make a live action spider-man sequel because you would complain about that too you know what i mean if we've gone three (laughs) movies in if you go three movies in then jump back you know oh they're just people would say Oh, they're just making this movie so they can show the Uncle Ben death. Yeah. Yeah, they are. But what a creative way to do that and not have to stop or slow the momentum of the live action run and animated series. Disney wants to get into the animation game. Star Wars did it for a decade. They want to get into it right now um, with Marvel stuff. And I think Spider-Man freshman year is a really creative way to retroactively from the bottom up build the story of the MCU Peter Parker. And I think that it's going to be like I said, a great way to have your cake and eat it too. I don't think Tom Holland's going to come back and voice Peter Parker here. I can't see that happening, but we saw a pretty good impersonation from friend of the show, Hudson Thames, and I think that he might be able to fill the role. Hudson, hit me back, man. Let me know if I can get that little scoopity scoop. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, hit him back for sure. Uh, and he would be great because I thought he killed it in the zombies episode. Real quick question I want to pose to you, though. Um, obviously, if Uncle Ben is in the show, which we expect him to be, He'll be 2D. He'll be animated. Who do you think would play Uncle Ben in the MCU? Because it's a different question because he'd be Mar- Marissa Tomei's age. 
I got a name yeah. that came to me immediately. You mean an actor? An actor, live action. Who in the MCU, because Uncle Ben did exist, who do you see as being the live action Uncle Ben? You say your name. John Stamos. Perfect. I don't need to look that up anymore. No. I don't I don't know why. I thought Marissa Tomei. I'm like, who's like they're a, both hot? Who's like a like a, an attractive, like 50s, like older, but still has like young looks to him? John Stamos. I don't know. Yeah. Sean Bean be cool. <laughs> Sean Bean would be way too epic though. Peter, yeah, right. <laughs> listen to me with great power. Going like he would not be subtle whatsoever. What about Bob Lowe? Rob Lowe would be really cool. The other John Stamos. <laughs> yeah, I was literally I was picturing him in my head. I'm like, he looks the exact same yeah. as John Stamos. Um, that's Disney Plus Day, Matt. A lot Man. of announcements. Less than we were expecting, but we just talked for an hour about it, so they clearly satisfied some level of what we were Got expecting. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to add in terms of Disney Plus Day? We didn't really talk about Loki Season 2. It got a very brief glimpse. Loki Season 2 underneath. No new title. Just kind of was like, oh, it's happening. Just like we told yep. you. Goodbye. Like um, The only other thing I want to add, um, something on Ironheart real quick. She is currently linked to three different projects. You know, she's got uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. She's got uh, Armor Wars, her own project, Ironheart. And she is a Young Avengers candidate. So I think that Riri Williams has a lot of potential to sneak into that Young Avengers conversation and really just kind of, you know, be one of those Avengers level level players once once they establish her in the MCU. It's going to be cool. You know, I love when they do efficient storytelling by introducing certain origin elements and other projects and then hitting the ground running in uh, a series like Ironheart. I think that's going to be super sick. Add that tab to your Venn diagram, the Young Avengers circle, because exactly. there's there's so much going on. And people were asking me too on socials. They were like, okay, uh, you know, we got all these show announcements. Where are the movies? And the movies, you know, this was Disney Plus Day. This was anything that's going to come out on Disney Plus. The movies, I would expect any announcements to happen on a Disney Investor Day. If it does happen in December, I'm not 100% certain if they're going to do one before the end of this year, but we'll see. Um, and we do have Marvel movies coming out in the future, ones we haven't seen, ones we haven't seen teased whatsoever. But one did recently just come out, and it's got a box office report to go along with it. Let's talk Eternals box office with our box office correspondent, David Thompson. Eternals has finally arrived, and with it comes its box office receipt. Domestically opening weekend, Eternals hauled in $71 million, a little short of its $75 to $80 million projection. By comparison, Shang-Chi hit $71.4 million in its three-day total, bumped that up to like $85 for its holiday weekend total. Black Widow also released on Disney Plus for an extra fee, $80.3 million in its opening weekend. And then... Venom 2 made $90 million, whatever. Point is, Eternals has made $71 million, $161.7 million worldwide, which is the much bigger number that they are touting a lot on socials. And in order to break all these wacky numbers down and what they mean, whether it was a success or a failure or a bomb or a boom, we brought in the big guns, as always. Our box office correspondent, Mr. David Thompson. David, how we doing? I'm doing well, Liam. Thank you so much for having me on. And yeah, these, these, I was very excited for Eternals to come out just to see how the box office did, especially once <laughs> the critical reviews came out. Like I, after the critical reviews, I'm like, eh, I'll go see this movie. I, I like I, my, you know, 
I guess my expectations were tempered for the quality of the film. Uh, they overperformed that. I enjoyed the movie. It did not overperform at the box office, unfortunately. So as you said, like $71 million domestically in its three-day total. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to correct you a little bit. With updated, with like adjusted numbers, Shang-Chi, we, I was looking at numbers today. We cannot, I, I have not appreciated Shang-Chi's performance enough. It, like it, to the four-day total in Labor Day in September, when like, we've talked about this when it came to uh like audience uh what was the word like if they're comfortable going out to the theaters or not like the percentage of how many people were comfortable going out to a theater because of the pandemic right because of covid um it was lower then than it is now it made 90 it was 94 million in those four days like it's it it was unbelievable it blew it out of the water on monday all the, the estimates were even like um un- they were underrating how much it actually made so Eternals, you know, here we are. Domestically, it didn't do great, in my opinion. Like, it, it didn't do great. And that's not a bad thing, um, necessarily, but it's also not a great thing. It didn't soar above. It wasn't Shang-Chi. It wasn't this big hit, at least here in North America. Um, it's four-day total. I mean, it wasn't a holiday. It was like $75 million. It's an unfair comparison to Shang-Chi, but that's the world we live in. Kind of what the upside is with these numbers is, like you said, the global total, and specifically now, because there's only, you know, we have domestic and then international, the international numbers being opening weekend, three-day three day weekend, $90 million, a little over $90 million. That's a really good number internationally. For example, Shang-Chi, which I just sung its praises, internationally, and opening, by the way, in like very similar markets, um, actually Eternals in less, because some uh, countries pulled the, the movie because of its LGBTQ um representation so like some of the some countries pulled the movie out of uh theaters neither are opening in china that's that's a whole other discussion right but shang chi compared to eternals international 90 million shang chi only made 56 million opening weekend internationally so it's balancing out um domestically i predicted um on the direct.com you could have read that article um, I predicted 84 million. And at the time I was feeling pretty good about that. Um, I didn't think it was going to make this much less than Venom 2, I think was kind of my thing. Uh, but this is in, in all honesty, um, at the very end of the day, this is really word of mouth really matters. Um, and I think people got less and less excited about this movie as it approached, which really sucks because I don't think the Rotten Tomato scores and a lot of these reviews are indicative of what the actual film does. I thought I think it's a really fun, enjoyable, different, interesting um, Marvel movie that doesn't deserve to have slightly underperformed because of its uh, Rotten Tomato score, possibly, right? Or just word of mouth. I, I even talked to some friends like, eh, you know, I might pass on that one when they didn't pass on Shang-Chi back in September. So it is what it is, and we're moving forward. You said a lot of really important things there, but the one that I'll hang my hat on is word of mouth is the best marketing campaign bar none. I remember the Shang-Chi premiere because I wrote the article about breaking down all the critic reactions and we had it prepped and we knew they were going to start to come out around midnight Eastern and then they started coming in. And as I'm writing this article, the energy is building and I'm seeing all the buzzwords of this being the best comic book movie since Logan, one of my favorite critics said. A lot of people were saying the third act is a little shaky, but this is one of the best origin stories Marvel has ever done. It got to the point where I was feeling 
a panic and anxiety that I have to wait another two and a half weeks to see it. And then yeah. luckily they they had the, the screening come available mm. close to my hometown that I got to see it two days later. And I was fired up after that movie. And then my review added on to that snowball of momentum to all of a sudden we get to show Shang-Chi's opening weekend and it makes nearly double its projections. That's what's madness yeah. about this. Eternals, on the other hand, kind of the opposite. Like I left mm. the theater feeling satisfied, liking, not loving, and I loved it more the more I thought about it. But I was one of few, and the people that were really vocal about this being an awesome movie were kind of a silent silent minority or or a suppressed minority, if Mm -hmm. that, because the negatives really took over. And it got to the point where I felt as a fan with Shang-Chi a panic that I need to see this movie ASAP with Eternals after seeing it once I was stoked to see it again, but I wasn't as desperate. And I feel like that did significantly hurt its box office for the general public. So now I ask you, with what it was able to do opening weekend, $71 million, we know opening weekend isn't everything. It's most things, but it's not everything. What does this need to do this upcoming weekend in its second weekend domestically in order to maintain any semblance of momentum, if you even think it has momentum right now? I think it does have momentum to answer that first question. Cause I think same thing with the word of mouth. I think people going into this next weekend, there may be actually better word of mouth going into this weekend than last weekend, because more audience members have actually seen it more real people. As I'd like to say actual <laughs> moviegoers, right. Um, that talk to their friends and nothing's coming out really this next weekend. It's not until um, two weeks from now, or it'll be a week from this Friday, uh, probably when this podcast is out that, we have Ghostbusters Afterlife coming out, okay? So that's really the next big hit. If I had to put a number on it, I think $30 million is definitely doable. Um, you know, that's over a 70% or sorry, a 50% hit, of obviously. But 30% would be really nice. Get them over. They, they'd get over that $100 million hump. Um, my domestic prediction is still alive. I added $180 million domestically total. Um, which is significantly less than Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi, as of today, um, to date, is over $220 million domestically, which is a fantastic number. It's it's the highest of the year. Uh, Shang-Chi, as of right now, as I said uh, briefly in my article that I wrote when I predicted for uh, the box office for Eternals, Marvel is still reigning supreme at the box office. Like, Shang-Chi is still, it has been the best movie, is the biggest success so far, at the North America box office. Venom is behind it, of right? But it's still Marvel. It's it's the top three are Shang-Chi, Venom, and Black Widow here in the United States. Uh, globally or internationally, uh, like or not internationally, but globally, uh, it's F9, because that movie just fantastic. Family. <laughs> fast, fast, yeah, family. <laughs> those, those movies about family, they just they just uh they just print money. Um, No Time to Die, which has been a huge success overseas. So good. Um, so good. Fun fact. Uh, so no time to die is the second leading, like highest grossing film of this year globally, domestically. It's not in the top five, Hmm. which is bizarre. And it only had like a 56 million opening weekend. So weird. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite of the year. Um, but that all being said, I do think Eternals does have some more momentum actually a little bit of momentum going into the second weekend because I know me and the five people I went to see this movie with, we all went in knowing the Rotten Tomato scores, thinking like, eh, you know, we'll see. We saw it on Saturday. We all walked out saying we really liked it. Okay. So mm-hmm. I think if there's more people like us, more 
positive word of mouth, it, it could do pretty well. But overall, I think if it hits 180 domestically total at this point, I'll probably feel pretty lucky having made that prediction. Well, David, thank you so much for coming in with all the numbers, all the facts, all the interesting tidbits. That's something you always bring that I never expect, which is always great. <laughs> um, before we get out of here, I got to get real quick, you know, just right off the top of your head. I just want a number right now with where everything stands. What's yeah. your no way home prediction for the opening? Yeah, game? I love it. So it's it's an exciting time, of course. It's right around the corner. I think today when I did my little like countdown, it's like we're at like 37 days 37. since 37 until no way home, which is unbelievable um to think that that's so soon and i'll be honest um i think it's gonna absolutely kill at the opening box office like the hype around this movie compared to anything else in the last two or so years i mean it's it's unreal so currently um i have it over 200 million dollars oh, i have it <laughs> I, I have it i have it at a um price is right number of $203 million, just a little bit over the 202 number that Black Widow or sorry, Black Panther got to in uh, 2018. So I'm going to stick currently with $203 million, making it, I think, the seventh highest opening weekend of all time in a pandemic. It would be unreal. Yeah. Fun fact, just want to add on to that. Back in 2012, when Avengers made $209 million opening weekend, that was the first time in film history a film had made over $200 million at the domestic box office opening weekend. Yep. We're now in the middle of a pandemic, and we have a Spidey movie that would quote-unquote underperform by hitting $203 because we know it could make endgame-level opening weekend money if these were normal times. That just goes to show the fever pitch comic book movies have reached in the past decade. And yeah. I love it. I love oh, it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, think, I, I think it's going to murder. Chomping at the bit. <laughs> I, I can't imagine anyone who's vaguely interested in the genre or has any interest in anything not going out to see this movie opening weekend. Like, unlike anything else, it's exclusively in theaters. It's not going to streaming anytime soon. Um, we'll see what they do with marketing. If we show it, I mean, just getting more and more details on just the multiverse of villains, I think might be enough. Like, I, just and just the hint that we're gonna see the old Spider-Man, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it, it's, it's gonna, gonna knock. It, it's gonna be like the outlier of 2021 for sure. Like the, all these all, all these other numbers we talk about. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Okay, we're we're doing better. We're we're kind of getting momentum here. It, it's it's gonna be way up there comparatively. So yeah, that's Absolutely. my prediction right now. We'll see as it gets closer. Um, could go up, maybe could go down, but my guess it's gonna stay around there, go up a little bit. Thank you so much, David. I can't appreciate you enough. Go Colts and Liam. As we get excited about this third Spider-Man movie, let's dive into another third Spider-Man movie. Ladies and gentlemen, our review of Spider-Man 3. Who am I? Well, I'm your friendly neighborhood. You know the rest. Ladies and gentlemen, Spider-Man 3. The final of the Sam Raimi trilogy released in 2007. This movie was the culmination of one of the most cornerstone franchises in the history of not just comic book movies, but popcorn in general. I think that this, this franchise really is a time capsule situation for the springboard between that 80s, 90s comic book vibe into the modern day MCU, DCEU, and what we're getting out of Star Wars. This, this, this trilogy has so much legacy behind it, so much history, and so much lore, and so much passion, and we have finally completed it. Liam, this is our third Spider-Man review. This is crazy to think about, and here we are at Spider-Man 3. 
it feels so so fulfilling and it's so it, not that it feels unearned but you know when we review a show to completion it's like oh it's been eight weeks it's been nine weeks it's been six weeks it's like it's been three weeks you know it's been a short time <laughs> and, they, and they've been they've all had like their payoffs individually each week it's not like we were waiting for the next one but it's really cool to revisit these movies and i'm so glad that we're doing this week by week rewatch because i really do believe someone asked me on twitter today if the Tasm and Raimi movies were necessary homework for No Way Home. I don't think they're necessary, but I truly, truly believe it's going to enhance your viewing experience astronomically if you put in the effort of watching one movie a week, maybe two movies a week as we get closer and you maybe haven't started. And Spider-Man 3, man, does this make me feel just so warm and fuzzy inside and I can't wait to talk about it. It's the best. And quick shout out to comicbook.com, friends from work, kind of funny. All of the friends we've had on the show who are all doing their own Spider-Man rewatches on their podcasts and shows. The comic book community is really surrounding around Peter Parker right now. And it's a, such a beautiful thing to watch. So um, let's dive in to Spider-Man 3. For anybody who doesn't know, if you're first jumping on, one, I suggest you go listen to our reviews for Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Time also, in the description below. You can skip around to wherever you want to be. Absolutely. Excellent work by you, Liam. Well done. Um, the, how we do this is me and Liam are going to ping pong between three big takes that we have from this movie, our three biggest takeaways from Spider-Man 3. And then we're just going to plow through some of our favorite or least favorite particular moments throughout the film. I'm going to put a disclaimer out here. Okay. This is a very widely panned movie. That's not a shock to anybody. Um, and this is a movie that me and Liam are on opposite sides of maybe for the first time since uh falcon winter soldier loki e even those ones we were it maybe wasn't like nearly like a couple <laughs> steps away we are on opposite ends of the Absolutely. spectrum with this movie so um i as the one who's on the negative end of this movie i'm not going to sit here and and just berate about why people shouldn't like this movie i need to let people know right now when i give takes when i give opinions when i talk about criticisms i have i am not attacking sam raimi personally i'm not attacking Toby Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, and my man, Jimmy Franco, personally. And I'm not attacking you personally. I'm not saying you can't like these things just because I don't. But I think something that we've made a staple on this podcast, Liam, we're not going to love everything. We've had a few reviews of movies that are pretty negative. And I think that's what makes us a pretty organic and genuine podcast. If everything's awesome, nothing's awesome. And I am excited for the discourse about such a polarizing movie from the sense of nostalgia and then quality. It's a great mix. So Liam, I'm going to start it off with you because we need to start off with something positive. That's something I've learned in our first two Spider-Man reviews. <laughs> um, we need to start off with you. What is your first big takeaway from Spider-Man 3? So there's been a lot of words being thrown around about this movie, but one word that seems to be circulating a lot whenever I tweet about it or whenever I see it trending on Twitter is the word payoffs. And a lot of people seem to believe that this movie has zero payoffs and I will take it a step further in the opposite direction I think that this movie has a trilogy payoff unlike anything I had ever experienced before and maybe maybe that's six-year-old Liam talking and it probably is because full disclosure this was the first comic book movie I ever saw in theaters and when I say that statement even though I've reminded my friends 25 times this week about that as I gush about finally getting to revisit it it still gives me chills every time because this is the movie that kind of started it all. You know, like Matt and I are both very ingrained in this comic book movie world. And it's something every single day I'm desperately trying to make my career. And the starting point 
was Spider-Man 3 in, I believe, March 2007 when I dragged my dad to the theater and said, you got to bring me to this movie because I'm pretty sure it's PG-13 and I need an adult to accompany me. And I went in with my Sandman action figure because I thought kids bring toys to the movies as well. And I ate a bunch of popcorn and I left so happy. And I said, guys, buddies, elementary school friends, we're going back to see this movie for my birthday party in July because, you know, six-year-old Liam didn't realize movies don't stay in theaters for four and a (laughs) half months. And instead, we saw Fantastic Four 2, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and that's a story for another time. I'm getting off on on a, a crazy tangent, but the point is, the third act of this movie, the payoffs I felt to everything that was set up in the first two movies really hit home. I don't know what what it is because i agree if i look at this through a critical lens and look at this as a film not a popcorn movie there are so many holes to pick through so many holes that will eventually just cause a tear and there's no connectivity whatsoever anymore however when harry and peter team up and they're joking again and they're smiling at each other and they go back to back against venom and sandman it just feels like everything has been brought together And then even though the rocky relationship with Mary Jane, who I objectively agree with Matt, is a super toxic relationship. When they're on the same page in this movie, even though it's always going to be rocky and you never know when it's going to go sideways again, when they're clicking, it just makes me smile. And on top of that, just Peter embracing Spider-Man and Peter Parker, and even just for a little bit, because both sides of the coin have crazy things get thrown at them a lot of the time in this movie. When he's happy, it just makes me smile because of everything he had been through in the first two movies. And for a viewer like me, who was so invested in this trilogy as a kid, for someone who watched the first Spider-Man movie on VHS tape every single Saturday, for someone who recorded Spider-Man 2 on FX and rewatched it all the time, to finally see this in theaters and to have the first time I see a comic book movie in theaters be the culminating one to one that defined my childhood so much, it will always have those payoffs for me. As a critic, I understand that they probably don't hit for most people, but the nostalgia, the the amount that it's rooted in just my life in general, the payoffs hit, and I am unapologetically enthusiastic about that. That's what we're here for, man. That's a great way to end that that very personal um, excitement about this movie. You know what I mean? You're unapologetically, and and I, I'm so glad that you said that up front. You know what I mean? And 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 I you I know you agree critically. This movie has is full of holes, but you're right. And you tweeted earlier. There were four screenshots from this movie. You tweeted out and said, "How does anybody dislike this movie?" My and I I made this Snyder Cut joke to you because you know we we rib on each other, <laughs> guys, <laughs> guys. Um, but you know it's it's because of the things around those moments that make this movie bad, not those moments themselves. And I agree that those moments are hype as hell in a vacuum. Um, and I'm here for that. And I'm in it. it I, I've been saying these first two movies that they make me feel like a kid again. You know, I was in seventh grade when this movie came out. I did have a little bit of a critical knowledge to myself at 13. You know, we're all film buffs at 13, right? I had just oh, seen yeah. Shawshank, you know, so, <laughs> so I, I have a different movie going experience than I did with the first two, but I respect and appreciate everything you said. Um, for my first take, if you don't mind. Um, I am going to kind of go off that a little bit. I feel, here's my theory, my crackpot theory. I feel like this movie was made for a different movie universe than Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2. I think that in No Way Home, when Alfred Molina goes to the bottom of the ocean and whatever multiverse thing happens, 
um, it's going to branch off. And Spider-Man 3 was made in a universe where the people who made this movie did not watch the first two because our three, our three characters, the gang, you know, Peter, MJ, Harry, they are so unbelievably different than anything that happened in the first two movies. And I, and, and just to run through it real quick, I've talked a lot about how Harry Osborn is a really bad movie character in the first two movies. They managed to take that and make him James Franco from Pineapple Express in this movie. <laughs> and and it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And so I, I think they somehow made Harry worse. MJ, this, this star-studded, you know, graduates high school with the biggest dreams, engaged to the most famous astronaut ever, has a very successful Broadway show, this, that, the other. They tie her to a rope and drag her behind the bus from the first Spider-Man movie in this movie because she gets nothing but just derailed this entire movie. She gets fired. She breaks up with Peter. She gets attacked by Harry for no reason. And, and then Peter does the worst thing you could possibly do to somebody and brings the new girl to her place of work. MJ gets absolutely dragged throughout this entire movie. And then Peter Parker, our guy, our guy, Peter Parker. The first two movies, I agree. They did such a good job tearing him down and making him humane and relatable. You know, despite the dialogue. Dialogue, I think, changes that. But hey, you know, that's this is 60 Spider-Man, right? Oh, boy, yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> no, this is something else. Um, I think that Peter Parker is just a genuine, horrible human being in this movie. <laughs> Everything he does in this movie is a straight up dick move, and it all and, and there's so many examples. But the one I'm gonna sh um, one I'm gonna point out is when Mary Jane is trying to talk to Peter about you know how she feels bad about the reviews and you know they said I'm terrible and this is my career and all these things. And Peter says, "Listen, I'm Spider Man. I get that all the time. You're gonna be fine. Just be Spider Man. You'll be cool." And and MJ. <laughs> calls him on it she says no this is not about you this is about me and it can't just be always about spider-man i really have a problem with this and i would like for you to you know talk talk with me through this and then yeah. the thing goes and you know what peter says go get him tiger huh huh and then he just fucking leaves what the hell peter be a better boyfriend um yeah i i genuinely think that peter mj and harry are just so unbelievably polar opposite from the first two movies in this movie. And that's the most jarring thing to me is the lack of continuity from a character standpoint, the storyline and the payoff you talked about earlier. I agree that those, despite the messy road it took to get there, do get there. But I think from a characterization standpoint, there is no continuity between our big three characters. I have so many things to respond to what you just said. Right. Um, and <laughs> I, I want to start with one moment that like, Again, I, I wish we had a video podcast because you can see the moment of realization on my face when you said that they're so different from the first two movies. And I was like ready to disagree, but you're right. They are so different from the first two movies. So why do I enjoy this one more than the other two? And I think that's that emotional attachment because I, when we went back and we rewatched Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, it felt off to me in the same way that 3 feels off to I you. I see, I see, I see. That's so wild. Perspective. Film, is, I, I freaking love movies because of this exact thing. I feel more attached <laughs> to the iterations from Spider-Man 3, which have made 1 and 2 feel a little worse to me and feel the character portrayals feel a little off, while you are more married to the first two portrayals, which makes 
three feel off. And I don't think either of us is right or wrong. And I just love that we can approach movies with a kind of lens like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it makes for great discourse that I'm, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of on this podcast. You're watching the first two movies. You're like, why is it Peter Parker being more of an asshole here? You know, like, like, like where's the where's the finger guns, man? Give me more finger guns. <laughs> That's okay. And let me qualify that statement because that that kind of leads well into my my next point. The 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 finger gun aspect and all that. I like confident Peter Parker, but I like confident nerdy Peter Parker. And I don't confident, not cocky. I'm talking about at the beginning of the movie when he's answering questions in class and he's just feeling good about himself and he he's getting those small victories throughout the day. I enjoy that because the first two <laughs> movies, he was so shy nerdy that he was so hard to root for because we're coming off of a Tom Holland Peter Parker who's shy to a degree, but he's got like a, a bit of a charisma to him, even when he's not Arm. in the suit. He's got a charm. Exactly. And it's like, that's what frustrates me about the first two movies. I'm like, it's like Jesus Christ, Tobey Maguire, like, like put a little vigor in the voice. Get your shit together, man. Yeah. This first (laughs) act when he is kind of has his confidence, not cockiness, confidence. It feels good. And it's a nice, like, it makes me smile. And even the smallest moment that I love is when they're about to give him the key to the city and he's still Peter Parker and he's getting ready to take photos and the band is walking by and he's all like, do-do-do, like, yeah, you're hitting the drums. And that's so dorky and nerdy, but, like, he's in that moment. He's he's not afraid of anyone making fun of him. And, like, I love that that he's not trying to get a negative reaction out of you like he is with the jazz club scene, which we will get into. This is a moment where it's just like, look, it's Peter Parker. Like, that's the Peter Parker we love. I can get behind that, but then he kisses Gwen. Like, that's the worst move you could possibly do, man. But, but, okay, this leads perfectly into my next point. The story of Peter Parker now getting the kind of Spider-Man confidence into his daily life and him not knowing how to control that, add in the fact that he's now kind of tripping off this symbiote drug that's making him an even worse version of himself. I think it works for this movie. I think it genuinely does. The I kiss? Think everyone... The, the kiss, because it makes me uncomfortable. You're not supposed to like it. You're supposed to hate that. You're supposed to be like, Peter, what are you doing? The love of your life, you're you're about yeah, to propose to her. You're about you're, to propose to. <laughs> you're messing everything up. But like, that's the point. Like, he's not a full on heel in that moment. But he's he's that he's like Homelander to a degree. You know, he's he's the smiley good guy who's making all these bad decisions and doesn't realize the negative effects he's doing. Homelander is maybe a bad example. I'm sure that there's yeah, a pro I, wrestler I was, out there. I don't there. want Peter to be Homelander. Yeah, there's a, there's a pro wrestler out there that I'm sure has John Cena for years and years was Cena's like, you good. know, I'm the smiley good guy. Like, what do you mean? Like, oh, Spider-Man deals with this stuff all the time. And it's like, you need to step back and look off of the mirror for a second and realize what you're saying. And, and when you have such a first person tunnel vision view of the world, you're affecting the people in your daily life. And so... I like that that sets up the character arc he goes through and then it gets so much worse. And the jazz club scene, here we go. Point number two, the jazz club scene is so, so like it's looked at so wrong. You know, you're not supposed to like it. It's supposed to be cringy and uncomfortable and you're supposed to feel secondhand embarrassment. I was throwing up in my mouth watching this scene. It was brutal. Him, you know, dig on this. The snaps and everything and then double him, time like there's there's nothing there's nothing like it, it's so uncomfortable watching anyone try to make someone intentionally angry and i'm like peter what are we doing and it just it pisses me off to no degree but that makes the scene when he eventually sheds the symbiote suit and gets back to the peter parker we love it makes that scene for me at least 
feel so much more rewarding because I saw the depths he sunk to, right? The jazz club scene and the silly dances and everything, people groan at it, but I think it's just a part of the character arc. The character arc he goes through in this movie of realizing if you're going to live two separate lives as Peter Parker in Spider-Man, you need to have kind of two separate identities and that's Spider-Man swagger and confidence. If you're not careful and you're not observant enough, it can ruin your personal life. And it does for a large spell of this movie. And he changes his whole identity and people don't even recognize him anymore. And he's getting in fights and, and he's just, he's not the Peter Parker we know. He's hitting Mary Jane in the face. Yeah, like that's that's not supposed to make you feel like, like oh, okay, Peter's got an edge to him now. You're supposed to hate the guy. You're supposed right. to be uncomfortable. And I, I think that for so long, the jazz club scene, it's cringy. I think intentionally. I think it's supposed to be like that. And that, okay. that's kind of my second point. That's okay. It's a whole mess of words I just said there. <laughs> Bully but... Parker is supposed to be cringy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I think that's what they were going for. So I, I get what you're saying. And I think on paper, yes, that section of the movie is supposed to make you not like what Peter has become. I don't personally, I don't think it was intended to be as cringy as it is, unless you subscribe to the theory that Sony and Sam Raimi were pissed at Tobey Maguire for being such a prima donna the entire time. And they wanted to make him look like a fool, which they did. I think that, I think that they were trying to portray that this is what Peter thinks a cool guy is. I think that's what they were trying to do. And unfortunately, I think they made bad decision after bad decision to, to, prescribe that to the audience i think i think that they thought that the audience was going to be like oh he's being so cool and you know swifty and jazzy and find me some shade hot legs and just saying all these ridiculous unbelievable things i just think that it was executed very poorly and one point i want to point out real quick before the jazz scene before walking down the street get up on it before all that <laughs> do you remember the cookie call when he's talking to Dr. Kurt Connors about the symbiote, do you know what Peter Parker thinks being a bad boy is? Hey, hey, uh, why don't you give me another cookie? You know, and then and then he takes the cookie and the the, the Dickovich lady goes, whoo, you know, she gets all excited when he takes the cookie. And and bad boy Peter Parker, his whole thing is, hey, hey, you got any, uh, you got any of them with almonds in them? She goes, no, why don't you go make me some? Why don't you go make me some with almonds in them? What? Like, why is that cool guy? You know, like, like what? That's what he would think. That's what he would think a cool guy is. I I understand that point. I don't like it. (laughs) I don't, I don't like, I don't like that. That's where it's gotten because, and, and I think this goes back to kind of the broader point I have about this trilogy. I don't think they made a very relatable Peter Parker. Because I don't, I, I can't think of anybody who would think that's what a cool guy is. Oh my anyway. God. I can think of so many from my personal life. <laughs> like people who are like, you know. Drop like... their names. Drop their names right now. <laughs> Do it. Who wants the almond cookie and thinks that they're the bad boy because of it? I'm just talking about like someone gets a little spotlight and then they're like, they think they're like hot shit and everyone's just like, bro, like, I got no, you. I got that's you. not it. That's not it. I got two negative right there. I don't want to get that way. So <laughs> let me go into my only positive take I have from this. Let's go. Yeah. Here we go. Sandwich. Here we go. And, the, Actually, and this is something. Re- reverse compliment sandwich. Your <laughs> compliments sure. in the middle. Yeah. That's why you had to go first. And, I, and you know what? I might ask you to go last. <laughs> okay. Double I think, decker. I think that. Oh, that's sexual. I think that, <laughs> that I've only realized it during this rewatch. Obviously, I watched this movie a lot when I was a kid, but I don't really remember rewatching it as much as Spider-Man 1 and 2. More iconic to me. We've, we've talked about that. I haven't rewatched this one very much. When I do rewatch Spider-Man, I usually stop at Spider-Man 2 just because I know what this movie is. Um, I will say the action scenes 
and the CGI and all of that stuff. I'm not saying it's fucking flawless or like I'm not going to compare it to where we're at now. I think that's a silly thing to do. But you can see the seeds being planted for, you know, where comic book action scenes are going. And it's not even so much like the CGI is great. It's good for 2007. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, you could spot it out. It is spotty at times. It's the kinetic energy behind these action scenes. It's the it's the choreography, not just between the characters, but with the camera. And, you know, when the ring is flying in the air, and that kind of puts you in the fight a little bit. And it has all these amazing things going on just from a choreography along with the camera work, along with the kinetic energy. I think that those are the spotlights of the movie for me. The highlight package, I would say, is the action scenes. Go figure, right? Um, I don't think they're perfect. I don't think they were all the way there, but I love that they, by the end of this trilogy, they got to a point where those action scenes really did start being more modern. And I think that that really does lay a lot of the ground. I mean, think about it. Iron Man comes a year after this. Yeah. And that was mind blowing CGI that blew us all away. Right. And that's an incredible stuff, especially for 2008. I think the act, the big action set pieces planted here led to some of the, I'll say this. I think Joss Whedon learned a lot from these this movie for the Avengers fight sequences that we get in 2012 because the way the camera just works through them, I it's it's got that vibe to it. It's got more of a modern vibe than any of the other Raimi movies, and I appreciate that. I, I unequivocally agree. The action scenes in this movie are for the time 2007 second to none like like sure. the it's revolutionized comic book movie action and even though as you quick said, shout out batman begins i, I do want a quick shout out batman sure, begins. sure. Uh, but batman begins a lot more practical different different sure Absolutely. Couldn't agree um more. the the action scenes though as you mentioned as i'm kind of losing my train of thought here 2007 sorry the cgi oh the cgi the step up uh, mm-hmm. uh compared to before we talk about it's 2007 compared to Avengers Endgame, night and day, not even in the same library, let alone the same chapters, same book. But compared to Spider-Man 2 to Spider-Man 3, oh my God, him swinging Big. through New York is is completely different. It's apples and oranges. And it's there, there's, a, there's a nice fluidity to it. You don't notice the green screens as much. You notice them when they're unmasked. <laughs> when they're unmasked and Mary Jane goes by and I'm like, oh my God, PlayStation 2, what no. is up? Like Harry's bad with the mask off. That's tough. It's a, it's a tough one. <laughs> However, like the the innovation with Sandman, Sandman never feels CGI like iffy. I mean, maybe at first when his like silhouette is forming, but that's sure. just kind of it's clumps of sand. Like it's it's what you yeah. would expect that kind of uh, how that Beautiful would work. Scene. That that scene is awesome. The scene when he when he's in the the truck and he's has the police shootout and he's fighting Spider Man. I think that is awesome. The one little when he packs the punch a little bit and the camera zooms down to his fist and it gets a little big. So comic booky, mm-hmm. so great. Uh, give a quick shout out to Thomas Hayden Church. I think he gives such an underrated portrayal of this character. You really feel the pain throughout with everything that he just wants to just you know pay for his daughter's medical bills. It's all he wants to do at the end of the day. I, I love the action. I the, the third act especially, it's like, I mean, aside from some X-Men movies, because they're natural ensembles by nature, it feels like, oh man, like this is it. This is the end of a trilogy right now. Because a lot of pieces. Yeah, yeah, you got you got the tag team factor, but not just the tag team factor. You have one fight that's gonna be kind of grounding ground and pound hand-to-hand combat between Spider-Man and Venom, but then you have the big monster, the big cannon fodder for, for someone to fight, and Harry going around throwing the pumpkin bombs. 
even the, the, the silliness, the objective silliness that can take you out of it, of the crowd <laughs> cheering down below of, of every, of everything that's happening. So bad. <laughs> I, I like it. Yeah, no, I, no, no. I, I recognize that it is sure. stupid and it would yeah. never happen in the real world. And police would say, back the fuck up, yeah. get out of here. You're going <laughs> to fucking die. In this movie, when the police are like, come on, guys, let's yeah. go, Spidey. Like, yeah. they're, trying, they're trying to start the wave and everything. I think it's great. And I think it works for this movie. And this movie doesn't try to take itself too seriously. And the action is a big reason for that. I, I agree. It does not try to take itself too seriously. I have a problem with that. But when you embrace that, I agree. The let's go Spidey moment is pretty cool. I know it's not a real thing, but I'm going to, in my head canon now, just think that the reporter and everybody has begun to cheer for Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> the British reporter out of nowhere is just so strange, I think. You know, everybody in this yeah. movie has a New York accent except for that one lady. <laughs> and it's a local TV channel, too, yeah. implying that, she, like, as someone who studies broadcast journalism, oh, you came across the Atlantic Ocean to work for a local New York yeah. TV station? That's not sure. how it works. <laughs> That's not, no, how it works. Not, not, not how the biz works. That's crazy. All right. Do you want to give your last one or do you want do you want to end it off on the, the positive note? I'm sure you're about to spin. I, I can give I can give my my last one if you have one more that you want to add. I do have I, I have one more I have one more big take and it's kind of a big one. Is it is it culminating or is it like too negative? It's it's negative. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'll I'll give my positive one since we were just kind of talking about it. My, my last one was both villain portrayals, uh Topher Grace and Thomas Hayden Church. I, I love them both in this movie. You can argue about the script they were each given, the amount of screen time, the, the rushedness factor of both of their kind of origin stories and how they factor into this movie. But I love villains that have a personal vendetta against the character and they're not just there to fight them just because you're a good guy, I'm bad guy. I like the nature of Spider-Man's going after Sandman because Sandman is directly linked to Uncle Ben's death. And then having that moment happen at the end where he literally has the Aunt May moments of, you know, I forgive you. Like you killed my uncle and I know it wasn't completely your fault. And I know maybe there's a, a there's a world where I could have stopped it in terms of the domino effect, but I forgive you. And it's, it's Peter embracing the good sides of people in his life. And Aunt May is someone who has always been like just wholeheartedly good. And Peter obviously tries to emulate her, but sometimes his personal arrogance gets in the way a little bit. To have that moment at the end, to to bury that and and forgive Flint Marco for his involvement in the death of Uncle Ben, I thought that was great. Brought a tear to my eye. And then also Topher Grace as Eddie Brock. You know, like, having a this blast. It's gonna be polarizing. I think he's better than Tom Hardy. I genuinely do because this movie portrays him as a villain, which in my opinion, Venom is. He doesn't need to be an anti-hero where oh we're snacking on bad guys. I think that's silly. He is a satanic symbiote who should be just bloodthirsty to kill people that wrong him and i love when he gets attached to topher grace i love the way that the venomness feels like like sticky like like what's it called like rubber and the way it wraps around his face and it's it's like in like his tar. mouth yeah like tar yeah it's like it's wrapped around his mouth a little bit and he's you want to kill the spider i want to kill the spider as silly and campy and comic book movie as that is it's 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 a comic book off the page and into the big screen and i love that and i love the relationship between him and peter the entire movie and even though he is a dick and he's photoshopping images and oh my god like when i watched this movie when i was six years old i'm like oh like 
he photoshopped an image like slap on the wrist now as someone who like studies journalism i'm like dude you just blacklisted yourself from ever working again like yeah. no market is ever gonna trust you um the the vendetta he has against peter him in the church praying on the dude's death like oh my god like it's silly sure but it's just i i love it i love it yeah. it again that's gonna be the the mo of this movie for me it's silly but i love it and both yeah. topher grace and thomas hayden church as venom and sandman respectively they work within the story that they're trying to tell which is this semi-redemption arc of Peter Parker and burying his demons and becoming the person he's supposed to be, they both are great stepping stones to getting to that final version of Peter Parker. Whether that lands for everyone or not, that's up for you to decide because film is subjective at the end of the day, and that's what makes it so great. But for me, this movie will always have a such a special place in my heart. A lot of that's because of the villains. A lot of that's because of the third act. A lot of that's because of the payoff. And I, I'm just happy. I'm happy talking about this movie. And as that new ABBA song goes, shout out my, one of my good friends, Will Scott. I'm fired up. Don't shut me down because that's how I feel about this movie. It makes me energetic and I love it. It's fantastic. I almost don't want to get my last one because it's such a I want to hear it. I want to hear it. You feel like I felt during Spider-Man 1. You know what I mean? Just made me sure. feel like a kid again. You know, like, like the how old, how old were you during Spider-Man 1? I was eight. Okay, I was I was six seven. when it came out in theaters, very okay, close yeah. to turning seven. Yeah, so there just you go. around there that is. same point. There it is. Um, this is a critical hat for me. Okay, we've been in the comic book movie world for about a year now, right? Yeah, we know a lot about Spider Man at this point. We know a lot about the lore, and we know how important it is to to do right by Spider Man because he's such a big deal, not just in movies, in everyone's life. Anyone can wear the mask. The kid inside of all of us etc spider-man's the shit you know i think it's everybody's like everybody can say they have their favorite superhero but at the end of the day it's probably spider-man right and and that's a pretty awesome thing i genuinely believe that this movie is disrespectful i think this movie is disrespectful to some of the biggest core values of the spider-man story and i say that when i talk about venom i think it's disrespectful to the venom character when I talk about Gwendolyn Stacy, incredibly disrespectful. Shout out Bryce Dallas Howard for being an absolute smoke, by the way. But wow, <laughs> was that the worst portrayal of one of the most important characters in the history of Peter Parker fandom ever? Terrible. Awful. Stop it. Cannot wait for next week. <laughs> um, and the third one, and this is going to bother you because you talked about the payoff so much. I think it's a little disrespectful to the fans because they do have that team-up moment with Harry and... Peter, do you remember how we get there, though? Do you remember the moment that got Harry to that point? The butler, Bernard, coming out of the shadows and explaining everything to Harry that makes everything right. Not a conversation between Peter and Harry. Peter just blew his face off because he's a dick. This is a conversation between the butler and Harry, and that I don't think is an earned payoff. The moment's cool. In a clip, in a YouTube clip, sick. I don't think it's earned. You talk about Thomas Hayden Church. I think he does have a great portrayal. I think he's the best part of this movie by far and away. Um, I mean, the Sandman effects were just so cool. You know what I mean? Like, like I think I think the big Sandman was a little lumpy for me, but other than that, I think the Sandman effects were really sick. Thomas Hayden Church, I would love to like classify him as the like the the savior of this movie and stuff. You know what I mean? It's unfortunate that his story retcons Uncle Ben's death. The thing that this entire franchise is built off of. That, I feel, is a little unearned, in my opinion. And then 
the moment where they're doing the the ring around the rosy thing with venom with the sound you know what i mean with the pipes oh, yeah. when when it when it start to separate and he webs eddie brock out of the venom like almost like a doctor strange astral punch you know what i mean he brings eddie brock out man i wish i gave a shit about eddie brock and venom together you know what i mean like look we meet eddie brock we still don't know what this black thing is you know it just fact that the symbiote got to earth by a random comet that lands 10 feet away from peter parker i think it's just such a ridiculous thing and for the fact for that moment to be so hype without any backup for me i think it's disrespectful to the fans it's disrespectful to gwen stacy it's disrespectful to venom and the reason i say that is because obviously we have venom now and we got another gwen stacy but like it just sours a little bit of like what if the mcu want to do a venom what if the mcu want to do a gwen stacy like, you know, the, the, they already did it once. And I know we, we've already gotten iterations. I like to believe that this is the movie. It obviously had a cinematic universe vibe, bringing in Harry at the last second. You know, the guy from the first movie coming and save the day in the last movie, bringing in the team up aspect, multiple villains, Mary Jane's in a taxi, not doing anything again. <laughs> um, and all these different stuff. I like to hope that Kevin Feige saw this movie and said, okay, let's do it right. And then next year came Iron Man. That's my hope. I like that. I like that perspective. Real quick, I want to say uh, there's there's a funny thing at the end of Spider-Man 2 where she's like, you can't dictate whether or not we're together. Like, I'm willing to take that risk of, of me being with you, putting me in danger. Like, Mary Jane is in danger. She is the damsel in distress of the third act of every single one of these movies. Whether she is publicly linked to Spider-Man or not, it does not make a difference. I agree. That's silly. And I... You know, this is this is one of those movies where I'm I'm really not gonna fight you back on what you didn't like because um, I see I see your perspective, and this is a movie where I I fully admit this is rose tinted glasses and they might as well be contacts as at this point because I can't take them out. I I, I cannot watch this movie without just feeling like a seven year old kid again invigorated and ready to talk about comic book movies and wanting to start a podcast before podcasts were even podcasts. Like that's, that's what this movie makes me feel. And all your points are completely valid, but I think they work for the confines of this movie. This movie, I will group into the Batman and Robin territory. You know, I'll, okay. I'll group it into movies like that, that are campy better than and that. silly. It's, Oh, it's much better than that. But in terms of, taking itself too seriously i really don't think this movie is trying to reinvent the wheel i i think that this is a culmination movie <laughs> of of a spider-man franchise that is super beloved and even though it didn't hit for everyone i think it it wraps up this story nicely and it's hard to tell whether or not i would feel that same way if that movie came out today because there were rumblings about a spider-man 4 and a lot of people older than both of us are saying how they've all, we will always wanted to see a Spider-Man 4. So that tells me that there are audiences out there that don't feel validated by this movie and that they want one more. And so I, I can see that perspective. But for me, this is a, this is a bow tie on, on something that is always going to be cherished in my heart. Well, I am happy that you feel that way. Um, I'm upset that I don't. But, you know, that's that's what makes it. And you made such a good point. Like, you view this franchise from Spider-Man three, I view it from Spider-Man one, you know, like, like that, that's my childhood giddy movie. It really is. And Spider-Man two, 
just some of the best action sequences you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> like, it's just really good um, in a lot of spots. It's bad at other spots. It's just so interesting throughout this review, like, you know, the change of course that each of us have taken depending on the movie. You know what I mean? Like, like you had criticisms about Spider-Man 1 that I frankly didn't care about because it made me feel like I was eight. I have criticisms about this that you frankly don't care about because it makes you feel like you were seven. Such an interesting thing for the ages that we're at and just the, the fandom that's grown since. And next week we get the amazing Spider-Man. It's just such an awesome thing to... Now, I'm not saying I'm excited to leave the Raimi trilogy. Like this 60s New York has become my home over this past three weeks. <laughs> um, but I am excited to get the ball rolling on the conversation between the different Spider-Man a little more. You know what I mean? And that's a really exciting thing. Let's real quick bounce back. Um, you know, just quick highlight stuff. What are some of your favorite absolute moments of this or things? Whatever. You, you get it. I like the new goblin. It's silly. It's a snowboard and he's working in the pumpkin bombs. But I think James Franco is kind of unleashed in this movie, not necessarily going for like any award recognition. He just <laughs> he's embracing the campiness of it. And when he tilts full heel, it makes me hate him. And that's the job of a bad guy is to not like him. Right. Um, on that, a negative, the amnesia thing, I think, is one of the worst decisions made in movies. Deus Ex Machina, super convenient. I agree. Just the worst. And it, it doesn't even make sense. He reverted back to a five-year-old. <laughs> like, like, oh, man, this is good. Like, oh, man. <laughs> like, just smiling like an idiot. And do you know the line he says after Peter and MJ visit him in the hospital? Those are my friends. I die for them. You didn't feel that way before you got your head knocked off. Like, like when were you ever like that? <laughs> like, like in, I just found that really interesting. You got a, you got a favorite? Any, oh, any uh, uh yeah um the uh the the sandman being born moment it's oh. just great it's just wonderful um the why is there the, all this sand in the middle of the field who cares why are they doing this science experiment <laughs> who cares why is no one watching this science experiment happen and they're just trusting that it's going well who cares that moment's cool i agree yeah it it, it still hasn't made sense to me why they're experimenting on it or it why the police don't know what's going on <laughs> why it's so shady and whatnot but hey, this movie moves at a million miles per hour. They they cram you know an entire Spider-Man universe into two hours and twenty minutes, and that's a reason why. If this movie was made today. One little thing that would have made that scene infinitely better. It would have said Roxxon on the side or something like that. Oh, you know what I mean. Yeah. This was just generic science experiment for no reason. Like, <laughs> and that kind of blows a little bit because that moment's so cool. And it's also so interesting that they didn't slap a logo on there because we know that how expansive the spider-man universe within an mcu can be how many characters you can fit in how many corporations are out there that exist within the spider-man ip alone and this movie loves to slap you in the face with up oh, eddie eddie brock jr i'm going to introduce myself every time i'm on screen so you remember <laughs> that i will be venom at some point very soon same thing with gwen stacy same thing with dr kurt connors dr kurt connors by the way and he's missing an arm do you ever wonder why he's missing an arm do you ever wonder if you could get that arm back and turn into a reptile maybe that'll happen in the future like like they they beat you over the head with how many like up there's a seed there's a seed we're watering it we're watering it like that's it was right there to slap a corporation logo on a lab coat or something and they didn't take it which is surprising to me they're bad at it <laughs> they're bad at the seed thing um and hey dude in a couple of weeks we're gonna get to the amazing spider bed too we're gonna have the exact same conversation yes, we're we gonna are. have the sony man come on let's let's get it together you got one 
I, I like the whole uh, Gwen Stacy falling scene, even though, you know, is it a disrespect to her character? That's up for yes. you to decide. I'm not married to the character of Gwen Stacy that I really care too much. But I think that, you know, the action in that scene is awesome. Yep. Whenever Spider-Man has to save the day and there's no villain involved and he has to kind of use his wit and, and work around just natural things happening and stuff falling. Uh, this movie, this trilogy as a whole has never made me feel... Uh, no movie or trilogy has ever made me feel more worried for civilians in general because of how much debris just falls from the sky at all times. Just pipes and and pieces of rock and everything falling off skyscrapers. I'm like, that's going to land and kill someone. So like, sure, Spidey, you saved the people in the building, but there are people like flattened and two-dimensional now on the ground below. Um, but I like that scene like as a whole. cartoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, let me let me just suggest a small indie film named Captain America: Civil War. It's a really good look at what happens when buildings explode. Um, uh, you said it. I already said earlier. The Gwen Stacy thing is just awful. I think it's terrible. Making her this this sexy model, just another damsel in distress, but somehow just more so than MJ. Awful. Like to agree with you, real quick. It, it's so jarring to me that when I rewatched this movie for the first time after tasm two came out sure. or tasm one sometime in the early 2010s and i rewatched this movie i was like wait a minute that's the same character as emma stone's character like because it's night and day in terms of how big they are in the movie and then i did my research more i'm like wait a minute that's supposed to be like a major spider-man love interest like to me as a six-year-old kid watching that movie i would have sure. never known how integral that character is to the spider-man lore so in that sense i completely agree that it is disrespectful to her character Gwen Stacy is as important as Uncle Ben in the Spider-Man thing. Like, like um, Uncle Ben starts the whole Spider-Man gig, and Gwen Stacy is, I can't ever lose anyone ever again. And that's how we get to where we are with Peter Parker. Um, uh, but real quick, uh, Black Suit Spider. It's my last good thing. Always dope. Always dope. So great. Always dope. I don't, I don't, I don't, I hate how they got there because the symbiote attaches itself to the scooter and then just sits in his apartment for a few days. And then weaves itself into an exact replica of his Spider-Man suit. At a random time. <laughs> At just yeah. a random time throughout Peter's life. But that moment when he's in a haze and he just kind of wakes up. Where am I? Always sick. Never not sick. And the poster rules. I know you're a poster guy, but him on the skyscraper. Sick. One side black Spider-Man, one side red and blue. Mm. I want to get that framed. I'm genuinely going to get it printed on canvas. Original title was Spider-Man 3 Dark Reflection. And that's why that poster looks the way it does. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Terrible wow. title, but I love the idea bad. behind it. Almost as bad as uh, Venom 2. Carnage? No, what's the, what's the other one they had? It was Love Binds Us All or to oh, like God. someone stupid. The Red Wedding Part 2. <laughs> they said Red Wedding, Liam. Yes, they did. All right, guys. That has been <laughs> Spider-Man 3. Next week, we'll be diving into the next sony spider-man universe and that is the amazing spider-man please make sure to follow along we're having a great time talking about peter parker peace Liam Crowley of The Direct here with one of the scene stealers from Marvel's Eternals, the delightful, wonderfully talented Sprite herself, Leah McHugh. Leah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today and for making my beverage of choice for this interview so easy. Ah, uh, like at you, you got a Sprite. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that joke so many times, oh, but I yeah. want to start things off uh, by, by addressing, you know, Eternals is finally in theaters. It's been so long since y'all took the stage 
at San Diego Comic-Con way back in 2019. And now that you're reunited with your Marvel family, with the film finally finished out to the world, how does it feel? It, I mean, it feels like it's a long time coming. I mean, it's it's been around, I mean, I was filming it, this movie two years ago, so it's been around three years since I actually got the part. I mean, before the pandemic, I was curious and, and so like the anticipation to see the movie was so crazy and having to wait a whole extra year just really <laughs> brought a lot more of that anticipation out. I mean, the premiere was incredible finally being able to see that was my first time seeing like the finished, finished product of it. And what was so special about it was the audience and their reaction to it. I mean. People have been loving it and it's going to be really cool for the whole world to finally see it. We know your character Sprite is an illusionist and we do have a fair share of magicians here in the MCU. How would you say Sprite's illusion powers compare to your Doctor Strange's or your Loki's? Um, well, I think her powers are less literal. Like they're only what you can see. They're not actually physical illusions like Loki say. Um, so they're, they're, they're a little bit different in that way. We know that Sprite uh, is a member of this grand ensemble. We have so many great ensembles already in the MCU. You know, your Avengers, everything going on in Wakanda, everything going on with the Sorcerers um, and Doctor Strange's world. Based on all the franchises going on in the MCU, where could you see Sprite maybe popping up in the future? Or where would you like to see Sprite uh, interact with in terms of a giant cast of characters? I think the really cool thing about this movie uh, is that it um, leads to so many possibilities for the future of the MCU and all the characters. Um, I mean, I personally am very excited to see whatever Marvel, if they ever would come up with something else in the future, I would love to maybe do something with Spider-Man. I think that would be a really funny dynamic if that were ever possible. But yeah, as of now, I, I really have no idea what the future holds. Sure, and speaking of Spider-Man, I, I did notice in your Instagram, Back at D23, I believe, you posted a picture with Tom Holland uh, and you said in the caption, thanks for the kind words of encouragement. I'm just curious, Holland is kind of Marvel's resident young hero when it comes to uh, all the Avengers. What advice did he give you? It's actually funny. I, I sort of one-upped him in the being the youngest Marvel superhero now. Um, but yeah, he's sort of new. I mean, he's not super new, but he was one of the newest characters introduced in the MCU. And I was actually talking to Kevin Feige and I saw Tom Holland and I was, I, I just couldn't stop looking at him. I mean, who doesn't love Tom Holland? And Kevin was like, do you want me to introduce you to him? And I was like, yes, please. Yes, please. And he was just like the sweetest guy. Oh my gosh. He was like more excited, almost more than I was. He's like, you have no idea how incredible this experience is going to be. He's like, I'm so excited for you. Um, and he just really made me it just made me feel really good. And I think later in the, during the day, he came up to me again and he was like, oh, I just, like, you have no idea how this is, what this is going to bring. I think, I think Kevin or someone might've told me that Tom didn't think he was going to be famous. He's like, oh, I'm just, I'm not going to be anyone big. Like this is, you know, I'm, I'm just like a kid, you know, how could I be like a, this big Marvel superhero that everyone loves? And um, he said, and well, I think uh, Tom, Tom told me that. And then he's like, expect like really big things in your career coming. So it was really exciting to hear. That's, that's really wonderful to hear. Wow. What a great story. Um, your character Sprite in the comics is, is often portrayed as a, as a male character, obviously now female in the movies. Um, but we did know that, I mean, speaking of Loki illusionists and everything, 
in the series this summer, Loki was revealed to be gender neutral. So when you approach this character, did you approach it with an idea of gender neutrality or were you more focused on bringing a female iteration of Sprite to the big screen? Well, I mean, it was, I haven't really read the comics, so I wasn't super familiar with how she acted in that. I tried to focus on the movie script and her feelings. And I think her being female brings more depth and a different type of story to the character. So I really just focused on, you know, being true to her feelings and her past and what she experiences. For sure. We know your character has so many relationships with all the different Eternals, but one human she has a relationship is Kit Harrington, Dane Whitman. Uh, based on, you know, everything, I know we can't go into two specifics, but based on her relationship with him in, in London and England, do you see them continuing to be friends in this post uh, Eternals one world? I'm not really sure, honestly. I mean, the thing that connected her to Dane Whitman in the story is the fact that her sort of sister Cersei is uh, dating him. So, I mean, if that if that were to continue in the story, I guess she would still have some type of relationship with him. Uh, to wrap this up, though, I would like to just get an overall sense of your proudest moment from this film. You mentioned, you know, when you joined this cast, it was three years ago, and here you are three years later walking a Marvel red carpet in what likely will end up being a franchise uh, for the most successful cinematic franchise in the history of Hollywood. What was your proudest moment when, when it comes to filming and making this movie? I really came into it very excited, but also very nervous. I don't think I was expecting to really, I don't know, it felt very welcoming after, after the first couple of weeks and I got a little bit over my nerves and more used to being with the cast and on that such you know big scale of a movie. Um, and there was a scene, I was doing a stunt and I remember being very, I was very proud of myself that I was able to really learn the choreography and get it down really well. And I felt that I, I did a great job in that specific scene and at the end of the day, I was like, wow, I'm a superhero. <laughs> It was really cool. That's fantastic to hear. Leah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. And I'm excited for more people to see you in this movie. Thank you so much. Eternals has hit theaters worldwide and the divide between audiences and critics has never been greater. Literally, the film's 80% audience score compared to its 48% critics score represents the largest gap between the two Rotten Tomatoes metrics and Marvel Studios history. While it's far from a perfect movie, Eternals brings a number of critical thinkers' questions to a fairly formulaic MCU table. And what better way to dive into those philosophical topics than with a direct discourse? As educated as Matt and myself like to think that we are, we knew we had to bring in a mastermind for this discussion. Joining us now is one of the most energetic men in our industry. You've seen him on Collider. Screen Junkies, Nerdist, and Beyond, the smooth talking, mustache rocking, one and only Koi Jandro. Koi, thank you so much for joining us. I love that intro, man. I appreciate it. That, that feels good right here. I, uh, yeah. I'm honored to be here, man. I, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this one. I feel like I accidentally became Eternals guy. I, I really did not expect, uh, I did Heroes for years. And one of the things I said about Heroes on Heroes was I wanted Eternals to be something that I got to appreciate as a fan. So I didn't actually dive into the comics as deeply as I do leading up to other things. And Eternals is one of my weak spots in the comparative uh, analysis of things. Like I know Spider-Man too well, X-Men too well. Like the Eternals is something that I knew probably very above average, but not to the same level of the rest of my expertise. And then 
because I loved the movie so much, I immediately dove deep into everything. Yeah. And it was like, it's kind of a reverse from my usual. And it's been really interesting because it's, I, I expected the opposite. Uh, and I've, I've on record after my reviews, I said, I thought it was going to be an 80%, 70 to 80 critics and 30 to 50 audience. And here we are with the literal opposite score. And I think this is such an interesting time to be a comic book fan because anything that does well for too long has the inherent Tom Brady bias. Uh, you know, when, when something's very good for a very long time, people start hating it out of that. And then you add to that the tribalism of, of comic books, you add to that the uh, current flux of America and the way we're seeing things change. And we've got a very interesting borderline uh, puritanical divide going on as we become more progressive as a country. And all of this happening at once as we come out of a pandemic, as box office reopens, as all this happens, and this movie feels like it's fated to be controversial and none of the things that are controversial should be. It's a very interesting perspective to look at it because I don't think you said anything wrong whatsoever there. Like that's the basis of this movie, whether you like or dislike it, that's kind of the objective stance to take with it. But you did mention how much you adored this movie. So before we get into some big picture topics of conversation, I did kind of want to get what you did like about this movie. Why did this movie resonate with you so much compared to any other film we've seen this year? So I, when I say these buzzwords, they're going to get an immediate kickback. So anyone listening, wait for the end of the sentence or paragraph, please trust me. To me, this was what I wanted in a level up in the same way that we got Dark Knight, Winter Soldier, any of these giant, giant films that showed an escalation. But instead of escalating in story or tech or uh, pace, it did all of that, in my opinion, did those three things, but it also did it in maturation. I think that Dark Knight really showed us that we can make an action thriller and make that for every audience that happens to be around a comic book. But that is a much smaller leap from, hey, trust me, this guy's in a bat suit to this is Batman and Heat. That's not as big of a leap. That's a leap, sure. It's not a step, it's a leap. I'm giving that credit. Then you've got movies like Winter Soldier that leap from Dark Knight into the MCU and do like, hey, we saw that we could do a thriller. What if we do a full-on espionage movie with Robert Redford? That, again, is not a step. It's a leap. And that took, you know, 2008 to 2012. You've also got leaps like Avengers existing, Infinity War, Endgame, all of these leaps. But arguably for me, those are all leaps from like one lily pad and a pond to the next. For me, in my opinion, and we'll see how this goes, Eternals leapt from nothing into, hey, we're going to make an art house $250 million, $2 million movie that trusts its audience so much that there's more shots of people holding hands than fights. And we're going to do that our way, paced our way, telling our story with 10 leads, two genius supporting characters, and we're never going to backtrack on our mission. That to me is a bigger leap than a lot of the things we've accomplished. And I think this is a testament to the belief in Marvel and its audience. Boy, I mean, I, I agree with you that this movie takes all kinds of leaps and risk and big swings. And something I, uh, you know, a baseball comparison I always try to make is when, when you take a big swing, if you get a hold of it, it's going and it's gone and we'll see you later. But, you know, the miss potential is also a little higher. And with so many big risks in this movie and so many characters on top of those risks, I think that one, 
it, it just lends itself to be a little more polarizing. Like it's not going to be for everyone, especially every single risk that they take. But I think that's such a great thing for the MCU to tackle. You know, like it's such a big risk in a meta standpoint to make something that they know is not going to be for everyone at every single step of the way. And I think that's such a big evolution um, from the Infinity Saga, which I'm not saying that anything in the Infinity Saga was, oh, we're just going to play it easy and go, like they took tons of risk in the Infinity yeah, Saga. I, I think we're both being very gentle while also like, I assume I'm going to get yelled at. I agree. But- <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's the amount of risk on top of all the leads and the big scale of the story that I think makes it such a beautiful swing by Chloe Zhao and her team here that it's okay that it didn't hit home for every single person because the people it did hit home for, wow, it seems like it just skyrocketed. This couldn't exist until now for a myriad of reasons, but I also think it couldn't exist at any other studio in history. You need a studio that if they're cranking out three or four movies a year, they can make up the box office on the other two or three. If they release four movies a year and three of them do gangbusters, then this one taking some loss is worth it because this is the one that's going to further the story overall. And this is the one that's going to further the the mythology for us. So I think that there's never been a studio that's like, you know, if we write off $100 million, we'll still make Eternals too. And that's what I hope this becomes. I hope this is literally a, a proof of concept of we're going to trust you to make Loki the show. We're going to trust you to make Eternals and we're going to trust that the right audience finds it. What's tricky is the studios had to deal with the pandemic that no one could have predicted. The studios had to deal with a rough, like a Rocky coming out of a box office. Uh, everything's got an asterisk right now. Every release, like everyone that's like, Eternals is the fifth lowest box office. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, you fucks. There's been a pandemic on. Like, of course it's like, yeah, it's a one, it's a three hour movie, which means just from math, you can play one less show a day in the theater. Just mm-hmm. math, just yeah. math. Two, yeah. there's a lot of places that are not fully available to open a movie at the same scale. Three, a lot of people aren't comfortable being in those seats uh, around people, masked or not. And four, Perhaps most importantly, it's a movie called Eternals starring characters most people have never fucking heard of and still won't know exactly how they feel about by the nature of the story. The thing I love most about this movie is you can see these as the 10 villains of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that is so much more interesting. It's like we got, we got, Thanos gave us, Thanos was right. And the concepts of, oh my God, I'm sitting on the 405 in traffic. Do I think we need to get rid of half the population? Like that's been a thing. (laughs) And then we had Killmonger who basically just played an American. Killmonger's perspective was just our giant, giant colonizer attitude and capitalistic take all. Then we had Loki go from villain to anti-hero to ambivalent self-serving villain. So those are, I, I think most people can agree. Those are three of Marvel's best villains. Now we have a movie where our heroes elect to not let millions billions and trillions of lives be born out of i like these fucks like yeah they like like us enough that they willingly obstruct the path of life that's a bad guy move yeah we are iron man 
Yeah, I don't, I don't get, man. I don't, I don't get how people aren't talking about that. Like this movie, this movie effectively has three twists that are all great. This is obviously a spoiler discussion. If someone's still listening and I ruined something, I'm so sorry. No, um, it's, there's a, there's a, the Icarus twist is the one that felt the most like I, I called that in the first trailer, and then I was really bummed I said it publicly because I was like, "Fuck, I'm gonna ruin this for people," and then they told me I did. But it's, I, I couldn't help myself. It was my impulse. Uh, so that's the that's twist one. Twist two is the idea that basically. Uh, they have made us into a battery. Like yeah. we've become the thing like the matrix that is so required. And then twist three, which happens kind of simultaneously, is that effectively to me, the deviants were human. Because if, if, if you land on another planet, if aliens came to us, by the nature of them coming to us, they're smarter than us. Because we can't do that shit. To me, the deviants represented like they could have eaten one more eternal and been just as sentient as us. And who's right and wrong between the internals and the deviants? The deviants were like, yo, you've been killing us and we are the same as you. We've got the same job. We're trying to do the same shit. And then the eternals murked them. They just said, oh, oh cool. You're, you're also that shit. Bye, bro. So yeah. like the movie gave us three examples of an actual nuanced lead almost like the Punisher where you're watching the Punisher on Netflix. You're like, why am I rooting for this guy? And mm -hmm. it's also more interesting in that all 10 of them think differently. And you know, the writing is good because you know how each of them are going to respond to conflict. I knew the arc of Druig as much as I knew Tina, as much as I knew Gilgamesh and that's genius. So if you don't like this movie because of the pace, because it wasn't for you, because you don't care about these 10 characters, that's one thing. But I really struggle with people saying it was a bad movie. Like, that's not right. fair. And, that, and that's the difference. And that's why I've been, I've been Mr. Eternal. Because I'm like, yo, 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 there's a difference. You cannot mm -hmm. like something, but it's not bad, son. Yeah. I really, I, I love everything that's going on here with just the perspectives on this movie. And a big thing that me and Matt have discussed in our review and at length, and even when we touched on Loki, was just very that perspective. And how films that you know go through history that are released now in the mcu how they retroactively change what we've seen before it's a big point of contention we kind of have right now with loki the finale we're still it's a wait and see factor of how kang turns out uh but myself and matt are both of kind of the belief that if it goes sideways it could maybe dwindle the impact of the infinity saga knowing what we saw with eternals and how much it kind of changes the dna of the mcu does this change your outlook at all from a story perspective of everything we've seen? Or do you think this is just a different point of view to look at it with? Like, is this restructuring the very DNA or is this just, oh, if you want to look at the MCU through an Eternals lens, you can, you have another option now. I think it's evolutionary in that way versus revolutionary. I do think there'll be options for the MCU to carry on in an Earth-based setting or even a Guardian setting. I think they've done a really good job compartmentalizing enough so I do think it'll be evolutionary that if you are aware of that story, there will be moments that affect you. You will have different connectivity. But I don't find it likely that you're going to need to be able to keep up with the cosmic elements in order to understand your Black Widow movies. Like, I don't think it's it just like when you read comic books. I happen to read 90% of comic books. Uh, I read 90% I read of Marvel, Image, DC, and about 60% of Dark Horse, IDW, and Boom. I read about 70 books a week. That isn't normal. That's impossible. It's, it's like, it's maddening. So like right now, today's new comic book day, and I've also got to read, I'm rereading the Matt Fraction run. 
So if I'm looking at my schedule, I literally need to consume 40 comics today and tomorrow to be on schedule. Yeah. That's, that's not a thing people can do. I imagine Kevin Feige, since he's really strongly, now that he's got control, leaning into the comic book format, if you look at his TV show structure versus his movie structure, you look at how he's shaping phase four, homeboy knows comics and he's just going like, oh, this is worked here. I don't think he would do something where it would require someone to consume 40 comics in every two days. Like, that's just not right. realistic. So like, I, I imagine it's going to be evolutionary for people like me and people like us that are going to consume it all but I don't think he would make it where it's uh, impossible to follow without it. You know what I mean? I, I, I love that point you made about how Feige, you know, understands the comic book reader's mind and like how these great comic books, especially the ones from the two thousands, you know, the, the Bendis of it all, you know, have yeah. really kind of built these great stories through tie-ins and event comics working together. And, you know, we talked about this on the pod, Liam, you know, WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier to me truly feel like a tie-in comic book that just foundationally builds the story underneath the big event that's coming. And I love that about it because, you know, when I read House of M, the tie-ins are better than the House of M books. You know, I, I think that, you know, there's, there's just so much for me anyway, there's just so much that can be done with these side stories. And then you have Loki and Eternals who do that on a cosmic level. And it's more like, instead of from the bottom up, those are more kind of from the top down where we're right. getting to something at the core. Remember when Age of Ultron came out and you know it had that mixed review kind of feel like, okay, it was a letdown from Avengers, a lot of people thought. But you know something I always take with Age of Ultron, one of my favorite movies, it gets better every single new MCU project that comes out. There's something that comes out after Age of Ultron that makes me appreciate it more. And I think Eternals is going to have that vibe in the MCU cosmic brand and the only difference between Eternals and Age of Ultron in that respect we got to know those characters over seven movies by the time Age of Ultron came out so it didn't have to do the origin story stuff that Eternals did here which you know that doesn't make it worse but it does mean you, you have to spend time doing things that Ultron didn't and I think that what that does is moving forward I think Eternals is going to be one of those foundational pieces of the MCU cosmic brand that is going mm -hmm. to keep getting built on top of. And we're going to look back at this movie excited about the things that seem a little, you know, giant scale. They're going to kind of narrow it down in projects moving forward. And that's really exciting when you look forward in the MCU for me. I totally agree with you. And I think it's amazing that when I say evolutionary versus revolutionary, it's kind of like looking at the phase one films leading to Avengers. Each of those yes. is evolutionary. Cap leads to Thor, leads to, uh, you know, even Incredible Hulk. And then Avengers revolutionary. How incredible is it that Eternals, which is one of the evolutionary pieces of the phase four puzzle is as big as it is. That's mm -hmm. what's crazy is we don't even know what the culmination of phase four is because again, Feige is starting to look at this like comic books. You don't know how the big event is going to land. I didn't love when phase three was spelled out for me four years ahead. I know people love spoilers. I know people love trailers. I enjoy them, but don't tell me what my 2028 life is going to be. Like, I don't need to start <laughs> brainstorming that. I also don't want to fill in too many puzzle pieces. Because I don't want to be like, oh, that means this and this and this and this. So I love that phase four feels a little bit more loose. I feel like you can watch each thing. And then at the end, we're going to be like, wait, it was all because of blank. And yeah. that's going to be way more exciting than going like, do, 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 do. So I, I think it's, I think it's magnificent. That's one thing I really appreciated with the end of Eternals was I was like, I don't know where we go from here. The only clear one that was even kind of fuzzy to me leaving the theater was the future of Dan Whitman and the Black Knight. And I left the theater going, I think it was Jeffrey Wright's Watcher, but maybe it was Mahershala Ali's Blade. And like even having that kind of fuzziness, which later got confirmed by Fizau that it was Mahershala Ali, 
that's so enriching as a as an audience member and like as much as like people like us you know people who contribute to the entertainment industry want to know what the next steps are having that speculative openness is a good thing and it creates discussions yeah. like this like a celestial has been half birthed out of the earth's crust and i don't know what that means for the future of the mcu and i've been trying to theorize people have been you know murmuring about maybe atlantis and maybe stuff going on with black panther but Nothing is set in stone. There's no clear indication of a name drop or a location hint or a character reacting to what happened that makes it clear. And I think that that's one of the best things that this movie accomplishes. It's a world-changing film that we don't know how said world changes because this entire operation in the third act essentially was in the dark. Like, you know, the newscast the next day, a mysterious rock formation comes out of the Earth's crust. How did that happen? No one was panicking. No one was in the streets going, is everyone going to die? It just kind of happened. And now we'll slowly feel the ripple effects in the next two, three, eight years. Who knows? And that thing is way more exciting. It's kind of like the weekly shows versus binge shows. I'd rather have these conversations in between and have it feel exciting than have it all spelled out to me. I totally agree. That was definitely a strength for me. Absolutely. And think about how in the Infinity Saga, the Battle of New York, all of phase two touched on the 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 after effect of the battle of new york like even in the thor movie when natalie portman pops uh tom hiddleston across the face that was for new york like that's such a great world building thing and then you move on the sokovia accords good lord like that 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 built so much of the mcu because the avengers movie made it happen i think we're going to get a similar thing here with the celestial with you know the three of them out on the domo in space and all those different things it's just it's so crazy that phase three had so many projects, I think, beautifully rushing toward that amazing climactic conclusion that we got in Endgame that, you know, we've kind of taken a breath. We got a year pandemic break, you know, out of nowhere, which I think is going to be beneficial for our brains when we look back at sure. it, because it's such a reset point now, because we talked about it with WandaVision. We talked about it with Black Widow. We don't know where these pieces are going. And that's that's foreign to us after a phase three that had so much rushing toward a conclusion that we were all excited about. I just, God, this shit is so fun, isn't it? Like, I it's love insane. Like, I love you're, the you're just casually <laughs> mentioning Celestials and Domo. And like, it's, we, we're living in such a perfect fictional world in Marvel. And, and it's, it's really beautiful that we can escape into it to such a level because everything you just described, that's like, what a dense mythology we're building in real time. And, and people like us getting to build on it, getting to be, you know, uh, Getting to commentate on it on a scale like this, again, this couldn't have happened before the internet. This couldn't have happened until this level of pop culture awareness, until all of this came together, until Comic-Con was as big as it was. I I look at the butterfly effect all the time, and I look at how much one thing leads to another. And then when I look at something like the Eternals, I can't fathom how this happened. And it's so amazing to me. And again, maybe that's why I'm so personally offended by by its 40% score. It's just, it's such a feat of engineering. And I don't understand how critics who are, well-versed in the language of film cannot see what it achieved. I'll ask you this question as kind of a follow-up to that. Do you think that this is the reaction, at least from critics, do you think that this is a level of like expectancy? Because even though, as you mentioned, it's so kind of revolutionary when it comes to film, at least art house film within Marvel, like that's something that's never been done before, but there's a level of expectancy when you see a Marvel Studios title sequence pop up, you, you kind of know what you're going to get. The fact that this was so sideways, in, in my opinion, and your opinion, clearly a good way, do you think that even though people who 
should appreciate this film if you take out the Marvel Studios logo. Don't do you think that's because of the fact that it's under a, a certain banner? Well, that, that is interesting because I, I do agree it's revolutionary outside of canon, evolutionary in canon, if that makes sense. Like what yeah. it did for, for everything versus what it did in the story. Uh, I do think there was some of that, but I think this was very necessary. If you go in expecting anything, the moviegoers have failed. And that's what everyone said. Like, oh, Marvel formula goes like this, 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 and this. As soon as they're like, it's not happening, people are like, oh, it didn't go like this, 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 and this. Like, come on. And I'm driven mad by the fact that people think there's a Marvel formula when I would say Infinity War and Endgame already broke that. I would Mm -hmm. say uh, Winter Soldier, when you find out Hydra is fucking infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, there's so many examples of this isn't formulaic that it's not really fair to say Marvel formula, but sure. If you want to zoom out, you want to look at color palettes, you want to look at directors having to adjust their styles. You want to look at the two post credit scene leading the next thing. Yes. I will zoom the fuck out and see that there is a formula, but this is not that there's no origin in this movie. There's no pearls. There's no spider bite. There's no fucking there. They're thousands of years old already established. (laughs) Like, none of the shit that we expect from a comic book movie happens at any point. And there are more conversations about morality, mortality, and theology than in most properties that aren't even, like, even in the art house space, this movie accomplishes more of those art house themes because it's two hours and 40 minutes of, like, let's do it. So the idea that people got upset at expectation and then got upset the other way of expectation and punished the film for it is what bothers me because at the end of the day, we're all fighting against... People love to hate shit and it fucking drives me crazy. As a, someone that loves to love shit, when I walk out of a movie I didn't enjoy, I'm upset at myself. Cause I'm always like, what didn't I find in that? What didn't I see from the artist, the actor, the director? What couldn't I find for me to find the positive in? I hate hating shit. So this weird instinct that the internet is bred because it's so much more popular and it's so much more interesting to click on a link of like 17 things that suck about blah, blah, blah. It's not actually interesting. You just think it is, you dumb fuck. And, and it drives me insane that the internet has become, we, we've achieved this fucking hive mind, a real life unimind where we can connect to everyone oh and all knowledge <laughs> of all time. And we use it to shit on art. Like, I don't understand how the critics that left this film didn't at least see enough merit to, to boost it into the positive. And again, I'm not mad at anyone that didn't like it. I don't, I get why some people didn't like it. I just don't understand a 40% because that does affect box office. Like the 40% is so aggressive 100%. that- Obviously, they're not all sitting around like, what are you going to give it? But at the end of the day, how did that many people, 300 reviews, uh, if it's got 40%, that's 60% of 300. That's what? Uh, uh, 60 times three is 180. 180 critics decided it wasn't a pass-fail because it's not 60% good or 40% bad. It's literally that many people said pass-fail no. So 180 people said it didn't even pass. That's what I don't understand. And that's what bothers me about the future of both pop culture film culture, Marvel culture, the internet. It's all of this instinct. That's why I don't consider myself a critic. I'm a hype man. Mm -hmm. Fuck being a critic. I don't want to hate shit. I want to love everything. So it it just, it really bothers me that it's landed here because of what it accomplished. And I really hope Feige and the producers and Chloe and the cast understands what it means to the people like us. And they see through this instinctive hate. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love everything you said there. And there's one specific thing that I do want to get your opinion on was what it means for the future, not for the future inside the MCU, but what it, what it means for the future of like Marvel Studios in general. And you mentioned that you hope that Feige, Zhao, everyone else that worked on this film recognize how valuable it is to not just the MCU, but film uh, Hollywood in general. 
do you think we're going to get more films like this? Or do you think this kind of mixed reaction, you know, we'll see about the box office. It's only been one weekend. It's way too early to tell how this film finishes. But do you think the the kind of shakiness woes between reviews, box office, is this going to change any plans in terms of making risky films like this? Or do you think this is only the first of many? It's funny. People are always like, in, in Feige, I trust. And I've always agreed with that. But I've never felt like it was more necessary right now to have that. Like, I've always been like, yeah, sure, he won't fuck up Spider-Man. Like, there's always that, like, okay. But in this point, I trust him to such a level that I, I think he's not looking at box office. He's not looking at Rotten Tomatoes. He's looking at, hopefully, things like this. You know, he watches all this stuff. I don't know how. But, like, I hope he's looking at stuff like this where it's it's absorbing. Like, I was on the, I was on the, the red carpet for um, uh, Shang-Chi. And he came over to me and started talking and reference stuff of mine. And I would, I had to just like, keep it together, man, hold it together, like stay strong. Like, and, and it was a really interesting moment of, of we had met uh, at a Comic-Con before and he and I, I was there for the unveiling of phase four. And he asked me with actual humility and actual interest, what I thought of how they unveiled phase four. He actually wanted to know my opinion of how the release schedule was, how they rolled it out, how the presentation was on the stage. He wa- we had a, I don't know, between 20 and 25 minute conversation at a party, just me and him one-on-one about phase four. And he cared. Mm -hmm. And this is, I'm trying not to make this sound like name dropping. I'm trying to get the emphasis on, he he cares about us. He cares Mm -hmm. about the people that are invested. He cares about people that make this their lives. Like this is what we do for a living. And that's this beautiful uh, ecosystem, right? Like without the diehard fans, you don't get the movies to the level they are. Without the casual fans, you don't have the reason for explainer videos. Without people that only go see Spider-Man movies, you don't have some movies make a billion. It's all this really beautiful ecosystem. So the fact that Kevin takes the time to watch stuff like this, to ask me and actually listen to my thoughts on the rollout, to be invested in what needs to further the universe, that, all of that is why I think we'll get Eternals too. Why I think that this isn't the be-all end-all is because he cares so much and they make so much money that you can have these movies have a little bit of a, oh my God, I didn't make my hundred million profit and still be okay. And right. I think that's more important to the overall universe because they're not making a movie mm-hmm. at a time. They're making a long show that's changing lives. This exactly. is the best series in the history of, of film. 100%, the greatest story ever told. Um, and it's not about, okay, we need Eternals to hit this mark. It's how can Eternals make Secret Wars the, the next biggest movie of all time? That kind exactly. of thing. You know, it's working toward a goal. It's not having a goal each step of the way, despite what they have. And for anybody out there, and you mentioned it earlier, Koi, there's so much, um, you know, there's, there's casual fans, there's super fans like us, and then there's Twitter. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, something, and something that happens on Twitter is, especially with people like us who talk about this all the time, you either love something or you hated it. Like if I, if I review something and I say, I, I didn't love it, but I thought it was really great, people automatically think, no, you hated it. Unless you absolutely loved it, you must think it's awful. And a great example of why that's not true, Koi, I'm not going to speak for you. I'm a big rankings guy myself. You seem to have loved this movie probably in your top 10. It is my number 10. Number I, I'm 10. a ranking guy myself. I'm a, I'm a list boy. Yeah, I got you. Oh, <laughs> we need to talk more on Twitter, Koi. Um, I, I, uh, you have Dude, Letterboxd app. Get on Letterboxd. It's I, I love Letterboxd. It's so aesthetically pleasing. Um, you get it. Yeah, but um, thank you. You have it at 10. I have it at 19. And you know, that's oh, a wow. big gap. I mean, that's a yeah. big nine movie gap 
but we just had a 35, 40 minute conversation about the ins and outs and intricacies of it. And that's what makes this movie so special is because it took all those swings and it's not going to be a 10 for everybody. It's not going to be a 19 for everybody. So to say it's blindly bad at 60% of the tomato score, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's something that I hope fans and I know MCU fans specifically can see past that. We are intelligent enough, I think, as a community to know that this is a long game. And we know and we have built that trust through phase one and phase two. And then phase three, they just kind of let it loose and it worked. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that it moves forward. And uh, you know, I'm really glad you're a rankings guy because Eternals is a very polarizing ranking movie. Well, what's fun about being so rank heavy is I see every movie is experienced through the lens of the viewer because of everything that led to that moment. If mm-hmm. I'd stubbed my toe on the way into the theater, I might have put it lower. If I'd had a rough drive on the way somewhere and like that affected my mood, I, I, I think every single movie's experience is so important to the culmination of every moment that led to it. Uh, I, I think personally, my MCU ranking is so different from so many others because I see the world so differently than most people. Like, wh- like a lot of the things I got out of this movie, it's a one of one experience. Like I personally... I'm, I'm a very proud Irishman. So hearing an actual inner city Dublin accent, not an Irish accent, not a miscellaneously European accent, hearing an inner Dublin city accent in a movie that I care so much about, that elevated it. Having conversations about theology when I'm very concerned about organized religion, that elevated it. Having so many visuals that felt like doing lots of drugs and being a very big proponent of hallucinogens, that elevated it. So (laughs) it's really hard to be like, I understand why other people didn't like this, but like, yo, I've done acid and thought about the world. Like that's celestial. So there's so many things. I also like, I'm I'm specifically a Kirby guy because of my relationship with John Schnepp. If I hadn't had that with John, it wouldn't have been the same too. So Every moment in my life led to my singular experience of that movie. And sure. that's why Winter Soldier is my number one, Guardians my number two, my three, four, and five rotate. Oh. That kind of shit. But like, and so, <laughs> see, like, you've got 19 in Eternals. You agree with me in my top two? I personally didn't love Age of Ultron. And this is tricky because I had seen too many trailers. It was when I first started doing coverage. And the entire movie, I was like, wait, am I just putting together puzzle pieces of a movie I've already seen? And it affected me so negatively. And I saw that movie in South Africa a week before it came out. So I saw in Africa it released earlier. So I was in South Africa and got to watch it there. So I didn't get to ride the wave of fandom, which usually helps elevate the film. I didn't get to see it with an audience that had the same cultural um, like landmarks. So different things landed with laughs, different things didn't. And on top of all of that, I had just gotten off a, a 22-hour flight. So like- yeah. All of that's going to shape my experience no matter how many times I rewatch it. You never relive the first something once, which is why leaks suck and I'm fucking pissed at Twitter. But that's another conversation. That said, uh, it really is an individual experience and that is important to everyone. When you look at Rotten Tomatoes, I don't recommend you look at the score. I recommend you find a reviewer you love that Mm -hmm. sees the world the way you do and that's why we have jobs. Find your person. If you hate me, fine. That's great. I hate a lot of people. But find someone you don't hate and attach to them, and that way you have a better experience of expectation. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's an any better spot to end this here because just like <laughs> you mentioned, like four separate things that are so like vital to Matt and I's Matt and I's lives. Like Matt, Matt's number one is Guardians. My number one is Winter Soldier, and those are your one and two. Drew, yeah. Drew and his his accent being so prominent. My uncles, who are my dad, straight off the boat from uh from Cork, Ireland. 
my Dude. uncles texted me and were like, because one of one of my quotes made it into a trailer and I shared it with my family. And one of my uncles was like, wait, Barry's in this movie? And I was like, what yeah. do you mean you're on a first name basis with Barry? Barry. Like, Barry, Barry, Barry off with your Barry. The all the time. And I'm just like, what the hell? But and like, you also mentioned yeah. drugs, which, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of. So Dude, I'm, I'm making moves. I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to be the pro hallucinogen host that Marvel still hired. It's not an easy line to walk. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I'll let, I'll let you do it. I'll let you do it. <laughs> Dude. And, and, and those things mean the world to all of us. And that's a really unique one of one, or in this case, three of three, but like that is going to make the conversation so different. And then that's the beauty of this universe is the point of comic books is to see yourself in a hero's perspective. And the point of these stories is to align our moral compasses to be better as people. The fact that the MCU has done that for 30 properties and the fact that any of them has succeeded much less, most of them, is the art form that is the MCU, and to that I'm forever grateful. Hell yeah. Boy, Jandro, I think the richest direct discourse we've ever had. Thank you so much for popping by the podcast. If you have anything you want to plug, your socials, upcoming shows, upcoming events you're doing, now's the place to do it. Uh, I'm at Koi Jandro, C-O-Y-J-A-N-D-R-E-A-U on Twitter, on Instagram, and most recently on TikTok. Uh, every, everyone's looking at the talks, and I'm trying to learn how to TikTok. Uh, I've fallen in love with it. It's probably my favorite social media because the algorithm is so smart that my TikTok is literally just comic books and workout regimens. So it's very like, <laughs> yeah, it's so like, <laughs> um, it's literally like drinking Red Bull while I slide. But uh, yeah, it's so a TikTok would be- the power. It's a big dude. Yeah. It's the rock. I hear it while I'm reading comics. Uh, and then I I've been working on my YouTube solo. Uh, I used to be a network guy. I used to be a collider and I used to be at all these places But as the world has adjusted. Now I'm more freelance. So YouTube, TikTok are the big two. And uh, I'm working on bringing uh, more stuff to YouTube through studios as much as possible. That's all I can say so far, but like, there's a reason I want people to start following more closely because I got so many messages when I did my buddy Straw Hat Goofy's uh, TikTok. And they were like, wait, where's Koi been? And I was like, I didn't die. Like, Collider ended, <laughs> Not I did dead it. Yet. Like, I, I'm really like, yeah, for two years, you guys just assumed I stopped talking about comics. Like, what would that even look like? Uh, so yeah, those, those, those places would be amazing if you guys find me. Oh, and I have a podcast, uh, KoiCast, uh, like C-O-Y-C-A-S-T, literally every single week. Uh, but I, I film it in batches. So one week is hotline calls, one week is news on top of my weekly YouTube shows, on top of my unboxings and on top of all the other social media. I don't like rest. I don't like sleep, but I like people. There you go. I love it. Koi, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Dude, this was an honor. Thank you guys. That was a quick question. That was a sizzle reel. That was a Spider-Man update. That was a Disney Plus Day recap. That was an Eternals box office report. That was a Spider-Man 3 retroactive review. That was a Leah McHugh interview. That was an Eternals discourse. <gasps> and that's an episode. Hey! Episode 59 of the Direct Podcast. Matt, recapping every, everything we talked about today, I think that even though this might not be our longest episode, this is easily our most segmented episode. And I, I hope we, we satisfied the fans because we put a lot of work into this episode. We recorded in chunks. We, we rearranged schedules, but I couldn't be happier to do it because when the content is flowing, the content machine is happy. Like that's all I can really yeah. say. Uh, but even through all of the wacky, wonderful news within comic books that we talked about today, we both seemingly somehow have interests outside of these worlds that we somehow squeeze into our 24 hour days, our seven days a week. Matt, what is your weekly recommendation for the people? This I don't week. have one. I have a question. Okay. <laughs> What's wrong with light mode on Twitter? Why did I get blasted for that? Oh no. What's the issue? Like, like what's not you, cool. 
Manaku. But like once you go to like the dark, have you have you had dark mode on ever? Yeah, I don't like I don't like white text. I never have. It just kind of throws me off a little bit. Well, that's that's the thing. I don't like a full on like white screen. I've already like I, I wear these blue light glasses and people make fun of me. They're like, oh, they're just for the culture, aren't they? Like you just wear them for fashion. I don't. My eyes hurt when I look at a screen way yeah. too long. So when I have like a white screen all the time, blue is a little more calmer, you know? Interesting. Yeah, I, I got the blue light glasses, too. They're great. They literally changed my life. They work, um, too. They're not a just yeah, a fashion thing. I paid up to get them in my glasses. They're sick. Um, I just one i just i've never liked reading white text i like reading the black text more i don't think that's an issue also uh you know when i design social graphics maybe this is something i need to change you know when i design social graphics i always keep a white background in mind because it blends so seamlessly with the feet you know what i mean this is what i do as a profession so should i be designing dark blue backgrounds on shit check out my latest hawkeye graphic on my hawkeye reaction by the way when you say you put when you put the white background you're saying that like if it doesn't fill the full edge, it kind of looks like it's like a sticker within the tweet. Exactly. 1000%. That's exactly what I'm saying. That'd be a very, I, I would love to see what that would look like in the blue side of Twitter because the blue side, like that's not normal. It's just so like, I feel like, color it would, like it, it's super specific, but it would like stick out it that would. much more. I agree. You got to look into, about. you got to look into the statistics of how many Twitter users have, have, dark mode and then black mode on because there's a black mode fucking too. lot of them because i got fucking railed for that shit man <laughs> yeah. i haven't had white mode twitter on since they offered the change like i can't i, I was Crazy. in high school like middle school even probably you're so young <laughs> yeah that's mine that's all i got yeah matt matt's talking <laughs> Old about man that. yelling at a cloud <laughs> <laughs> mine uh i got a music recommendation i guess i got uh, i got three because music was just super hot last night um, so much stuff dropped at midnight. That's what I love about streaming that has kind of changed the game is there's like an event when a new song releases. Uh, Silk Sonic, Anderson Pack, and uh, Bruno Mars. They got this kind of group going together. They got a song called Smoking Out the Window. And it's Very just good. like a 70s groove. And if you watch the music video too, it looks straight out of like, like that kind of style of music video as well. That song's great. Uh, Let You by Ian Dior. Uh, one of these like indie artists that I really dig uh it's it's a great song it's an it's a nice vibe and then my man polo g released a song called bad man which is a remix to smooth criminal by mike ja michael jackson and it just takes the beat it speeds it up a little bit and then he puts his his hip-hop spin on it and he speeds up smooth criminal <laughs> yeah i know it's already pretty fast it's like it's rapid it's rapid but i think it's great i think polo g is a great artist and I knew that would get a groan from Matt because, you know, don't try, don't touch the precious 20th century music and all. Alien Ant Farm already did it in 2002, and it was in every movie for the longest time. Have you ever heard of the Alien Ant Farm version of Smooth Criminal? I don't think so. It's the rock version. It's fucking, imagine the Smooth Criminal beat on a loose string guitar. <laughs> it's sick. That's epic. And yeah. linking I'll listen this... to it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> okay. Linking this back to our worlds too. Grant Gustin TV flash. When he was on Glee, he did an epic yeah. cover of this and they had like the cello playing the dun -dun -dun -dun. It's great. Mm -hmm. So we're going to play it with, some, with some smooth criminal uh, by Michael Jackson. We'll play the original one. Maybe I'll, I'll mesh in uh, the bad man version by Polo G. Uh, but Hey, that, that's an episode, another lengthy episode. Uh, but we do it all for you. Our man, Caleb Garrett on Twitter was hinting, you know, maybe, you know, longer uh, episodes are in the works. Maybe we do two episodes a week with content getting so heavy. Scream it from the rooftops, guys. If you want two we episodes a week, hit us up on Twitter at Liam T. Crowley, at Matt Remke, R-O-E-M-B as in boy, K-E. 
let us know. Let us know. Scream it till you can't scream it no more. Tweet till those Twitter fingers run out of gas, and we'll bring it to you. Episode 59 in your ears. We'll see you next week. To the window, it was the sound of a crescendo. He came into her apartment, he left the bloodstains on the carpet. She ran underneath the table, he could see she wasn't able. So she ran into the bedroom, she was struck down, it was her room. Annie, are you okay? So, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? Annie, are you okay? So, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? Annie, are you okay? So, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? Annie, are you okay? So, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? Okay, would you tell us that you're okay? There's a sign in the window that he struck you. A crescendo, Annie. He came into your apartment. He left the bloodstains on the carpet. And then he ran into the bedroom. You were struck down. It was your doom. Annie, are you okay? So, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? Annie, are you okay? So, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? You've been hit by. You've been struck by a smooth criminal. Yeah, if there's anything else you want to go over, uh, let me know. If not, I'll send him the link now. I'm ready to rock, man. I'm ready to, um, you know, when I arrive, I I bring the fire, make you come alive. Let's do it. I, I used to have that song on my iPod Nano back in the yeah. day. That the ones, uh, uh, oh, I thought you said, uh, what kid was that? Or no, you said, what kid didn't? What's his name, Kyle Rudolph? Kevin Rudolph. Oh, it's really close to Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, the Historic tight end. Historic Notre Dame tight end. Yeah. Um, I had that song on the iPod Nano that didn't play out loud. The ones oh, that yeah. only only headphones. Oh, yeah. I didn't know they made iPods that played out loud. They, I had a iPod Nano with the camera. That was like the big Christmas item. Yeah, it was like like 100 bucks, which was like breaking the bank for an iPod back in the day. And well, yeah, it was a game changer. I've spent $350 on an iPod before. <laughs> I like the first one? Videos. iPod video. Not the first ones. The video. Okay. The iPod video was game changing. And then, wow. and then the iTouch. See, that's our generational divide because my iPod touch, I was in like elementary school. I was in like yeah. third grade and it, no, it was my it was my PSP. You know what sure. I mean? Sure. Like I, it was it was my game console. I had all my all like the Angry Birds, the paper toss game. Pimple run, dude. Jetpack jet joyride. Yes. Oh, the uh, paper toss game. Jesus. Yeah. They should, they, <laughs> they should rebrand it and relaunch it as just Kobe. Yeah. Oh, Kobe. man. That'd be something special. Be sick. Um, fucking Temple Run, dude. Temple Run, Temple Run 2, the Wizard of Oz version. Yeah. I, I fucking love that game, dude. Flappy Bird. Remember I, that game? It was Dangerous. Android only when it first came out. Flappy Bird. Flappy uh, Bird. Yeah, yeah. And I, didn't, I never had an Android. Yeah. Good. Fuck, it's windy out here.